I'm Adam Stilwell, co-director of The Triangle, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Have you tried the pineapple Rita? Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Monday, and this is episode 176. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and our newest sponsor, which podcast enthusiasts will love, Stitcher Premium. We will tell you more about this great new platform later in the show. To get a free month of Stitcher Premium for 30 days, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HMP. That's stitcherpremium.com and use HMP at checkout. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and my co-hosts are... Dave Dotson Schockbacker from Just Outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, and I'm not your uncle. Good. <laughs> On this episode of Horror Movie Podcast, it's a Frankensteinian episode where we cover a wide variety of horror-related topics, including reviews of movies and shows we've been watching lately. This is, of course, my first Frankensteinian episode here as a co-host, so I'm super excited about that. And with that, let's kick it over to me, Gilman Joel, and my review of Midsommar. Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skull! <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What's happening? That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. All right, here we are. Let's do a review for Midsommar. I'm so excited. I know. I I have to say up front that, you know, this is obviously a Midsommar for 2019. There's another Midsommar from a few years back. It is not that one for those that are listening that were so, I'm sure, confused by that point. Uh, this is <laughs> Ari Aster's new film, uh, of course, best known to horror fans as the it being it still blows my mind that it's his first movie, but a, a writer director of Hereditary, which mm-hmm. just gave me so many levels of anxiety and just stress and terror during that viewing that I couldn't go see this one by myself. I actually took oh. a, a guy who who I've had on my show who has become a friend of mine. His name's Tyson Hanks. He's actually a horror author and he is a a, a veteran. OK, he was in the army. 
All right. And he was so messed up by hereditary. He also did not want to go see this by himself. (laughs) (laughs) So So it was built up pretty highly uh, in your mind. Yes. Which is a good and a bad thing. Okay, that's okay. A, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Why that? But uh, I know for a lot of horror fans, especially those that really appreciated and loved Hereditary, they were looking forward to this. Now, if Hereditary wasn't your cup of tea, then you probably weren't feeling that way. I I will say that up front, uh, I loved Hereditary, like I said, and that did I think affect me to some degree going into this. So I just want to make sure I'm I'm very upfront about that. All right, okay. so I'll go ahead and do a quick synopsis, and then we'll just jump into the meat and potatoes of this. So. Midsommar is a 2019 motion picture from writer-director Ari Aster, and it tells the story of a group, a small group of friends, four friends, and they are going to, well, actually five, because one of them is from the area, <laughs> five friends who are going to this small village, uh, rural hometown of one, one of the friends in Sweden. It's in Sweden, and one of their friends are all in college together, presumably getting their PhDs, and one of them has, every year they have this festival, or this Midsommar festival. Now, this particular festival is once every 90 years, the ones that they're participating in, but you get the impression that they, you know, I know the Midsommar thing, after talking to my, my good buddy and fellow podcaster, Peter, who is actually Danish, but lives in Sweden, he said they do this every year. Hopefully, oh, okay. hopefully not like in this movie, but they do. They do do this <laughs> this festivity. Where's Peter for this review? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, I don't know. I probably <laughs> should have him here. I'm not being inclusive. I'm <laughs> OK. So he they, they go there They're They all agree to go. Well, one of the group of friends is the main character, and that is Danny. And this uh, character is portrayed by Florence Pugue, I believe is how you pronounce her name. I think okay. she's a fantastic actress. She was in uh, Fighting With My Family, which I loved. My mm. wife and I loved that yeah. movie. And she was fantastic in that. And she is fantastic in this. I don't awesome. know if I, I want to say she goes to Tony Collette level, but it's close. Like she does a great job with where she has to go in this movie. So awesome. saying that up front. So she is the girlfriend of the one of the guys in this group and it, his name's Christian, which is kind of a interesting symbolic name for this movie uh, yeah. and uh, played by Jack Raynor, who I'm not really familiar with. If I'm being honest, I don't I'm, I feel like there might be something I know him from, but he, nothing jumped out. In fact, other than Florence Pugh, Will Poulter was the only other actor in the primary group that I okay. recognized really from anything. So yeah. that all, all of these guys are going to go together. They're going to go. Uh, with their friend uh, Pele, uh, played by Wilhelm Blomgren, who I believe, based on the name, is Swedish, and they <laughs> they go to his village and they meet his quote unquote family. They do this after an opening, th- and, and I'm going to be very careful about spoilers here, folks. Okay, I promise. But early on in the movie, a traumatic event happens to Danny. Okay, and that helps, I think, establish a trauma with her that comes into play in her reactions to things that happen throughout the film. I have heard, I think from a lot, I don't say a lot, a few people whose reviews I, I watch and listen to and I, I admire and I follow. I noticed that they seem to have a beef with that element. At least I'm assuming that was the part that they referred to because they talked about how it wasn't something that was particularly revisited very much. And it's, and it seemed like such an important part. I took it as it was a character's backstory that we got to witness as opposed to us coming into this movie with something has already happened. And we, and we're sort of seeing the aftermath of it. And that's how the movie begins. Mm -hmm. We see this, I think so that a, we can immediately care more about this character, 
but also really get the gravity of what she's endured and gone through. Because I think the way she reacts to certain things and situations would have seemed really melodramatic had we not seen what she'd gone through. Okay, I know I'm being vague, but I'm trying to be. (laughs) So all of that happens. And in true (laughs) Ari Aster fashion, after only two movies, uh, that, that guy loves his grief horror i think there's no other way to call it because that that (laughs) aspect is present in this movie now i want to say like i said up front at the beginning of this hereditary to me was one of the more disturbing troubling anxiety producing horror movies i had seen in a long time i find it interesting that apparently astor has gone on record to say he did not consider that to be a horror film he considered that to be more of a drama family drama (laughs) that he considers this to be his first true horror film. What? Yes, that's what he said. Now, which is fascinating because my takeaway, my knee-jerk reaction after watching this movie was to come on here and tell you, Josh, to tell the listeners, I almost borderline don't consider this to be just a straight horror film. Like, if you wanted to make the argument that he made for Hereditary for this one, I'd actually be more on board with it than Hereditary. Because to me, Hereditary, no, is a horror movie. Period. Full stop. Um, This one... It's going to cause us a lot of headaches at the end of the year. I can tell. Yes. It, oh, it is. Like if, <laughs> if, let me put it this way, if us is divisive and people are like, oh, I don't know. No, 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 no. To me, this is, I mean, yes, it is. Is it a folk horror movie in the vein of the Wicker Man? Absolutely. It is that. It does it have its share of shocking imagery that will borderline traumatize you depending on what your sensitivity level is. Oh boy, does it have that. But it... It's almost, first off, it's beautiful. I I just want to get that out of the way and just say it is a gorgeous movie. I mean, if you have any appreciation, which I know you do, Josh, big time for cinematography, it Mm -hmm. is like a painting. It is so beautiful, this movie. And that's a good thing because it's a nice juxtaposition to when some of the ugly happens. But But in a weird way, it almost... How can I put this? Whereas hereditary and what lurked in the shadows was always there. And you always had that, like, you know, you're, you're, you're always worried about what's going to come next. This it's almost so beautiful. It does like you drop your guard, but you never, I never really quite got to a place like I did with hereditary. And I think if I have any gripe at all with this movie, it's that my anxiety level going into it. Was it like a 12? And by the time it ended, and I'm not saying I wanted to feel horrifically awful and have it haunt me for weeks on end like Hereditary did. I didn't necessarily want that experience because that's one (laughs) of the reasons why I was so afraid to see this movie on some level. But but I think it it left me a bit emotionally perplexed. I wasn't quite sure how to feel about it. I loved certain things. There's a couple of key moments that happen that are just like grip your seat, like, Oh my God, kind of moments. But then there's a lot of elements that I don't want to just call them melodrama. Cause I mean, obviously a lot of you know great movies are melodrama, but it, it was just a, a lot of drama. And, and I, and I mean, Astro's gone on the record and said he wanted to do a breakup movie. And he, he I believe he even said that he felt that if you look at the structure of this film against a lot of nineties, type breakup movies that there's a lot of similarities. And now that he's said that I've heard him say that I could totally see it. I, I, I get what he's saying, but he wanted hmm. to do it within the framework of a folk horror story. And he's also gone on records. So I don't feel like this is a spoiler to say this, that 
the inevitable places such a folk horror story would go, he knew he had to go there. And in fact, he said it's it's telegraphed quite a bit throughout the motion picture. And it is. And I think my biggest gripes, if I have them, I mean, it's it, they're not really gripes in the grand scheme of things, because I don't dislike this movie. It's just that some things were so telegraphed. In fact, a lot of it, in my opinion, that the nothing about it felt as surprising or shocking as we got in Hereditary. Hereditary, one of the things that made it work so well to me was there was a few moments in that movie where you can't even believe what the hell you're seeing and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and you didn't know where it was going to go next. In a strange way, you don't, know always where some of the characters necessarily going to go next in this movie but the story you you pretty much it's not like when it ends you don't go wow i mean what where have i been you know it was more of like okay well no actually no i i i saw where it was all kind of going and it pretty much went to those places and it doesn't i don't feel like i need to necessarily and i know some people talk about like oh this would be a fun movie to revisit every summer (laughs) It's like, a, hey, get ready uh-huh. for the summer season. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think from a just appreciate <laughs> just appreciating the cinematography and the artistry at hand, I could see doing that. But I kind of feel like the story and everything that happened there. I don't know. Maybe there would be new surprises on a second viewing. But for me, I don't know that there would. I kind of find that disappointing on some level. Hmm. I, I think I could go back and rewatch it and appreciate it from a crafts person's perspective i i mean honestly i felt like that to some degree with hereditary okay i did end up finally buying it but i passed on buying it when it first came out because i was just like oh man i don't know if i really want to put myself through that again like it's not the kind of movie you just pop in for fun sure but it is it is a movie that sticks with you so much it kind of haunts you to to a degree i had to like i had to watch it again i had to revisit it and i think i saw i'd seen it three times in theaters, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, we saw it at and, Sundance originally, right? Yeah, when I first, saw it at Sundance yeah. and then twice in the theater, I believe. And then um, and then when it came out on Blu-ray, I went to the store to buy it. I looked at it on the shelf and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I want this. Yeah. You know, which is rare for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I am going through a, a transition in my purchasing as a, you know, with my collecting, but where I'm trying to like be more choosy with my collecting um, due to my marital status, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I did think, you know what? I don't think I want this one. And I didn't get it. And then a couple of weeks went by and I thought, you know what? I have to have that. Cause I have to see this and I have to see that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious if this might have a similar effect on me. I don't want to speak for you. Maybe it will for you. For me, it doesn't see hereditary. It, full disclosure. I've seen it the one time I, I want to watch it again, but I am nervous to, and, you know, there's a lot of yeah. other movies I'm trying to, you know, catch up on and watch. And and so it's I've seen it. But there are those moments where my wife, she loves horror films as well. And I think on a lot of levels, she'd appreciate Hereditary, but she knows how much it messed me up <laughs> in the weeks afterwards. Right. That every time I bring it up, she's like, I just don't know, because it really got in your head. <laughs> and, 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 and so and I think that I know this is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but I'm a little disappointed that Midsommar did not do that for me. It didn't do it the same way way it didn't and it's a different movie but here's the problem it still deals enough with that grief theme and that's an element of it that there were certain moments in this movie that when they happen and the the heartache and the the sort of wretched horror of loss it does not resonate for me Hmm. the way it did in hereditary 
uh, you know, hereditary, yeah. it was just devastating. And this, it's like, okay, I get it. I see why this character is where they are. And I see why this is, you know, I get it. And then later on with some other things, I'd be like, okay, and I see why she's, this person's still reacting the way they're reacting. But I guess because of when certain things take place and it just didn't have that same emotional impact that I guess I went into yeah. it expecting. And that's not necessarily fair because I think his goal, I believe I heard him say out of his own mouth, his goal was if audiences come away feeling a sense of emotional confusion, like they're not sure how they should feel, that he thought that for him that was a win, then I say... Bravo, bro. You <laughs> Honestly, did it. That's like the number one bit of feedback I've heard. Yes, but that I think that people are like, yeah, don't know what to feel yes. when they get out of the movie theater. And I'm going to probably be the weirdo here. I kind of like that on some level. I, I enjoy feeling ambiguity. I enjoy the gray areas. I enjoy not being sure. I appreciate this movie for the art it is. But that's what I wonder. Is there a richness to Because that's one of the things about Hereditary is that there's not a lot to that story either. Yes. Like it, it goes places you're not expecting, but there's not a, it's there's not much to it. It's pretty um, plot wise. Sure. It's pretty basic. And I think for me, it's the richness of the of the craft that really hold me in the most. You know, the disturbing elements were just super <laughs> disturbing. Yeah. Those almost repel me. If yeah. anything, yeah, you know, it's the richness of the of the filmmaking that really drew me in. So yes. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious. I, so I've seen a lot of reactions from our listeners, and I've seen a few reactions from filmmakers. The first reaction I I saw was from Jordan Peele, and he was raving about this film. And you talked a lot about the beautiful cinematography. So just while you're on that topic, with and what kind of what I'm saying about the richness of the filmmaking, I'm curious about this because. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about horror in the daylight throughout the years. It's been one of the things that we've talked about appreciating because it is it can be so jarring. But I think it is a high level of difficulty as well because you have to overcome. You don't have all of the easy mm -hmm. ways to get to a scare. I mean, it can be scary just to have a dark corner in a room, you know, and mm -hmm. so to to remove that from your bag of tricks as a filmmaker increases the level of difficulty in a way that I find really interesting. So if they're able to then pull off, you know, the disturbance, the, the tension, the scares, then I think that they've really got something there. And that's why I think I've always been drawn to what we always have referred to just simply as horror in the daylight. Jordan Peele kind of started talking with the release of us about his favorite element of horror, which is, an idyllic horror film. He talked about that with us. He wanted it to be sunny. He wanted it to be a beautiful lake environment. He wanted to feel like he's in this beautiful place so that when the horror happens, it feels even more intense. And, um, and, you know, he really wanted like the beautiful boardwalk and, you know, the, the beautiful lake house and all of these elements for him played into it. The first bit of news I heard on Midsommar was from Jordan Peele. And he told Ari Aster, according to the Midsommar uh, Twitter account, <laughs> I think you've made the most idyllic horror film of all time. And mm -hmm. so for him, that being a compliment, knowing you know what he had said about us, that really caught my interest. Because I'm a fan of The Wicker Man. The original is one of my all-time favorite films. It's not like a... Uh, you know, I don't know. It's It's just a movie that I love the vibe of it. I don't necessarily... It's not like one of those films that really pulls at me 
in the way that a lot of my other top 10 horror films do. Um, you know, again, it, it's kind of a small story with regard to the plot, but just the feeling of the place, the location, the overall dread really sucks me in. And I am actually an apologist for the Neil Butte, Nicholas Cage, Wicker Man, which I would love to get to at a future date <laughs> and yeah. talk about. Um, I, I love that version, despite all the crazy Nick Cage antics. I think there's some amazing stuff going on there. And so uh, this idea of this film really caught my attention. I'm going to read two more quotes really quick from Jordan Peele. I don't, you don't have to respond directly to him, okay. but I'm curious what you think about kind of the the things I've been talking about here. He says, this movie is just so unique. This hasn't existed yet. And anything after is going to have to contend with it. It's a masterpiece. I think it's going to be a real landmark in horror that will be referenced forever. That's all Jordan Peele on Midsommar. I would say as daylight horror in the daylight goes, this movie owns it. (laughs) I, I think it will, it will be very hard to come up with other movies that do it better just because the craft, the artistry and everything being what it is. And idyllic to Jordan Peele's point, it's the environment that they're in. Yes. It's obviously this odd culty commune thing going on, but they come across in such a way you kind of, you could you could see the appeal. I mean, you a little bit, and then there are moments where you're like, "Oh my god, leave now!" Uh, <laughs> so, um, but to his point, yes, I think this may be, if not the best idyllic horror film ever made. It is. I it, offhand, I'm trying to think of one that's like I think of a movie like the original Hills Have Eyes, which I'm a massive fan of. And there's mm-hmm. quite a few daylight horrors in that movie, but I would say that's definitely not idyllic. <laughs> like, right? I mean, that's right. not. There's nothing idyllic about that situation. So th- that sort of pseudo subgenre, I find that yes, this would be the possible winner of that crown. What about Wicker Man? How do you how do you compare this to a film like okay, Wicker Man? You're, it seems like it wait, must full disclosure, hopefully hopefully does not get my horror geek card revoked. I have never seen either version of the Wicker Man. What? I know oh! breaking news. I'm so actually I'm thrilled about that because that really gives us an excellent opportunity. That's one of those movies that I don't even remember the first time I saw it. It's just been in my life, my entire life. You yeah, know, sure. I cannot wait to discuss this movie with you. Good. I, we, we have to we do, do that. Do a we'll do a versus episode. That will be amazing. Yeah. Maybe when Dave and I can catch up with Midsommar and yes, just from, from my point of view, I just wasn't able to see it as the town I'm staying in, in Hawaii has one movie theater on this side of the Island. The only two movies they have in the theater, are toy story Four or Spider-Man far from home. Both are excellent, um, and, by the way. Yeah, I saw Spider-Man last night. I yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and they're getting uh, the other side of heaven too next Friday, but they're not. It's not a huge market, so they're not. They don't have all the films. Sure. But um, when I am avail- able to see Midsommar, um, maybe we can do a versus episode for the Wicker Man. That would be fantastic. Where, I would love that. And, and honestly, that I, it's always been in my. Uh, peripheral. I mean, I've always known of it. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with it. Every I, many horror docs that I've watched, I've used clips from it. I've seen clips from the remake. So I'm very familiar with both. And I contemplated seeing it before I saw this. And I'm glad I didn't because I, I mm-hmm. knew that there was a lot of, if some people were like, oh, this movie's just like the Wicker Man. But it's like, well, okay. I mean, it's not like you can only ever make one movie like that. <laughs> you know, right. It's okay <laughs> if there's other movies. And I like that Ari Aster's called it the 
folk horror subgenre that you know this sort of yeah. the, the idyllic little commune that turns out to not be so uh with apostles yeah. is like that there's, yeah. there's been many movies in that a great yeah great subgenre. it is yeah. it is so i i went into this it's a subgenre that i am extraordinarily uh illiterate about i just i'm not really? I, I, yeah, yeah i'm just I, i'm familiar and i and i like i enjoy a good cult horror flick i love those yeah so and i feel like they're it's definitely you know that's they're they're very close siblings uh, those two so wow. Um, we need to do more. I'm excited about this because these are some of my favorite films and favorite subgenres. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into this with you and yeah. and uh, get your fresh takes on. Yeah, I, I would love to do forward. that. I think we absolutely should put that on the docket. So for for this one, I will also add, and I know that this probably puts. I I know how Dave feels about this as well. I have a pretty good sense of how you feel about it. I am actually a fan of slow burn. I know a lot of people have griped that this movie for the most part, meaning Midsommar is it takes it a good hour ish before you really get to any meat and potatoes, what you would probably mm. call a hor horrific moments of the movie, but it's that buildup and it is so beautiful. It, it really delves very deep into the culture of this community to the point where it's almost a little, overdone and self-indulgent i mean there's there it's it, you kind of feel like okay i get it i get i get the ceremony i get um creepy weird okay uh-huh and and it but it's so it's done with such elegance and detail that you really appreciate it and i'm not gonna compare and reason why i brought up dave and and your taste i also appreciate something like an ingmar bergman film okay i i enjoy some i haven't seen a ton of his stuff but i've seen enough to go i appreciate that almost tone poem of, of cinema right. where it's just this uh, it, it's not so much about the story as much as it's just about the the atmosphere and the themes and the ideas and the symbolism and blah 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 so for this i thought it had elements of that and so it didn't bother me i think if i had gone in expecting just a straight up horror movie and i think that's an important point if you are the kind of horror fan that loves and i'm not saying this in a negative or positive it's certainly not meant to be pejorative in any way but if you are a person who loves the conjuring universe movies because of how they are the haunted like i'm in a haunted house equivalent right it's jump scare jump scare jump scare if you love right. that and and just so we're clear I know I'm relatively new to the show, so make sure everybody understands this. I don't hate jump scares. I hate excessive jump scares. I think they could be used very lazily. It's like a, it's the, the low hanging fruit, but I think they have their place and I'm fine with them when they're used sparingly. Th I feel like Ari Aster is the antithesis to that. So if you like that, you might not like this because his horror comes, I think comes about because of the emotional pain and anguish of his characters. It comes from, I, I almost feel like the closest you could come to a jump scare for him is when he does a smash cut to some image you will never scrub from your brain ever again. You didn't have time <laughs> right. to look away. Yeah. <laughs> so that's his equivalent, but it doesn't make you jump and it doesn't affect you and your, your physiology. It's just, it, it just is there. And there are moments in this movie that are like that. Now, as it progresses and where it ends up, I found to be a bit anticlimactic it didn't it didn't have the same and i know that that was obviously a big knock on hereditary to some degree was the ending of that movie without going into it that some people had an issue and i i had less of an issue i think than some did but i see why people had the issue that they did and this movie isn't like that it doesn't try to over explain things or, or anything of that nature it's just a little 
I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm just trying to think of how to put it. It just it just ends in such a way where you're like, you might have this look on your face like, huh, huh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know what I saw was good. Like, I know I just saw a work of art. So I don't want to be immediately knee-jerk reacting. So that to be said, do, do you have any other uh, did you have some responses to this movie that are from our listeners? Well, that you, well, I, yeah, I do have a bunch and I'm, I'm glad that you've said everything you said, because okay. I think my, I'm the type of jerk who would say, well, if you're just someone who's only here for the gore, then you're not, you know, of course you're not going to appreciate this movie. I, I'm glad that you are you and, and, and that you're someone who both appreciates all the schlock and gore yes. and all that, that element, those elements of horror, as you said, the even jump scares, but you're also someone who can appreciate a slow burn yes. and quality cinema. I'm glad that uh, that you're approaching it from this position because I, I will say a lot of our listeners, now I don't know where you're coming in on this movie yet, but mm-hmm. just based on kind of the vibe I'm getting from you, it seems like a lot of our listeners were a little uh, more into this movie than you were. Okay. And so I'm, I, I don't want, as I read these, there are a few that kind of, take the position I might if in with a film like this and just kind of like you saying, uh, like you were saying, uh, making it sound like a pejorative because it's not. And as horror fans were, you know, we're fans of all sorts of movies, all sorts of bad movies even. And we can appreciate, uh, the, some of the smaller elements, everything doesn't have to be working perfectly for us to appreciate a film, I guess is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. And so I just wanted to kind of, uh, preface the, reviews i'm going to read uh with that comment okay they're not all positive there are definitely some negative comments and a lot of bewildered comments but these are just uh some that i saw on our twitter feed most of them had tagged us in their reviews um but a few others were just listeners whose reviews i saw that i wanted to highlight this one comes from at dave the author on twitter he says hereditary is a hard act to follow this one works better as a horror film but doesn't quite hit the cinematic brilliance of hereditary uh, he leaves his full review at halloweenyearround.wordpress.com. Trey Whetstone at TreyW underscore 73 on Twitter says, Midsommar, I'm still trying to process this one, but I can safely say that I love it. The film is packed with beautiful imagery and earns a spot at the top of full core. It left me with a what did I just watch feeling as the credits rolled in a good way. <laughs> 9.5 out of 10. Robbie Snaz at Grundy13 on Twitter says, Ari Aster is not only the best horror filmmaker today, he is one of the best filmmakers, period. Midsummer movie was incredible, emotionally guttural. Best movie I've seen since Hereditary. See this now. At Shane the Maniac said, Midsummer, WTF did I just watch? I enjoyed the cinematic adventure, compelling story, although predictable, amazing cinematography, Overall, not a horror movie. Reminds me of several films mixed together. I liked it, but I went in without watching previews and wanted more. 6.5 out of 10. Now, Juan, um, who's never one to avoid an online scuffle, says, this is 100% a horror movie. I can't even imagine what else one could call it. Um, To which Shane said, after reflection, it is a horror movie, just not much horror, scares, or fright. So... Uh, that was that little exchange there. Mm-hmm. Juan later said, if you're looking for cheap thrills, a million jump scares and mindless gore, this won't be the movie for you. If you want horror of the darkest ilk that goes deep beyond the darkest depths of your soul and plays with your sanity, then this is the movie for you. 
Joe Burnett at Joe Burnett says the fairy tale that every horror fan has been waiting for. There are so many reasons why this is a perfect film. His films are so powerful that non-horror fans are becoming horror fans. It's amazing to see that the genre has come so far. I have only good things to say. Amanda Williams at Horror Zest says, best breakup movie I've seen in a while, possibly <laughs> overstuffed, but really gorgeous overall. Trevor at Trevor RR666 says, best horror film of the year by one of the best filmmakers of our time. It's that simple. At Home Improvement Podcast, yes, the television series Home Improvement, said, disappointing. To which uh, the Movie Podcast Network account replied, not enough JTT. <laughs> Anna Ribeiro at Anna Dreadful says, Midsommar blew my mind. It is as magic and beautiful as it is grotesque. And this dichotomy kept me hypnotized the entire time. A daylight horror movie like no other. On a different note, shouldn't we all be worried about Ari Aster's mental health? <laughs> <laughs> to which Juan also replied, seriously, I'm afraid to find out he's drawing from personal experience. <laughs> Boss Butcher said, loved it. We'll see it again. It will definitely not appeal to all viewers for many reasons. Mm -hmm. And then uh, just two more uh, reactions. This one is from Johnny Larkin, who is a listener. He's also the host of the Screaming Queens Queer Horror Podcast and a television writer in the UK. Uh, Johnny Larkin says, was telling a mate about Midsommar movie and realized I really want to watch it again. Good sign. And John McPhail, who is the director of Anime Apocalypse, um, said, go see Midsommar. It's a masterpiece and experience you won't forget in a hurry. Still compressing and think I'm going to be lost for words for a little while. Um, so congratulations to Joel for being willing to tackle this when so many people do seem like there's a lot to grapple with here. So having seen the film and hearing those reactions, kind of what is your response? Maybe I you were honestly think that they're all right. <laughs> I, I think that for some, this will be a straight up horror flick, meaning that I think that this is a horror movie complete and absolute and that it could be not seen as anything but kind of what Juan was saying and on the flip side of that when someone says it's a breakup movie and it has a beautiful imagery and some really disturbing moments in it yes it's also that I think it it and this really speaks to the mastery that Ari Aster has I'm so I think that the fact that you can have these completely different takes on the exact same movie speaks volumes now again as a straight up horror movie it didn't it unsettled me at times but i never really felt that sense of, of dread except for one part well i take it back there's one part where i really felt the dread but other than that there were things that you know were disturbing and troubling but i never had that again that same sort of visceral reaction that i did say with hereditary are you just too secure in your relationship? That's the real question. I think there might be that factor. Yes, there might be that. That might be part of the problem. I've seen a lot of people be like, do not watch this with your significant other. You will break up after this. <laughs> no, no. I, my wife and I thankfully have been together long enough. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but but is that just not a threat for you? And you're like, you know what and I mean? Maybe, like, that is. Not... And maybe that's a valid point. But I No, in all seriousness, I don't. I think for me, the scary part would come about this idea of being in a place 
place you've never been before. You're completely fish out of water. Being in a place like that, having your perception of reality alter, like all of those things combined with just what they witness at times is horrifying. I mean, you, you can't say mm. that this isn't a horror movie. It is a horror movie. But... I, Interesting. It kind of reminds me of the sacrament as you're talking about it now. I'm oh, really that's curious. the Ty West one, right? That was kind of the Jim Jones. Uh, no, this is a, sorry. The, I think this is a triangle actually is what I meant. The okay. triangle. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the triangle, so I don't know. Um, but I, I will say that I feel like all of those things you read, none of them were wrong to me. I could see how somebody would come out of this movie feeling that way. And I, I hope people don't take that as a cop out, but I just I could see how Juan feels the way he does and how some of the other folks felt the way they do. I get it. I see why you would feel that way. I think for me, it just didn't quite hit me the way. And, and maybe that's unfair, right? I mean, I sh should have gone in and taken the movie at its own. I, I shouldn't be comparing it to Hereditary, but I kind of can't help it because, you know, it's only the guy's second <laughs> movie. And there's yeah. a lot of thematic similarities in a way with certain key elements. And, you know, so you kind of can't help it. But right. that being said, I'm coming at this as somebody who, you know, was a wannabe filmmaker at one point, truly appreciates the craft. And this is a gorgeous movie. This would get a high rating for me, if for no other reason, just for it being a work of art. I, you know, you yeah. could appreciate art and not necessarily get it or, you know, be struggling with it and going back and forth with it in your mind. But you can at least appreciate what someone did. And that's what right. I feel like for me with this movie. That's what I appreciate what was accomplished uh, in this movie as opposed to, oh, yeah, it didn't scare me, so I'm done. Well, no, I mean, it, it, it affected me, but just not like what I was hoping for. I guess I was just basically ex expecting a real uh, mind screw to keep it without the explicit tag. Yeah. That's what I was, <laughs> I guess I was expecting more of that. And, you know, and some people, to your point, who maybe have been in situations a little closer to this might really have that experience. You know, I right. mean, that's a very valid point. So. I do just want to quickly say, yeah, that I was referring to the triangle from 2016 uh, as of course from a friend of the show, Adam Stillwell, as well as Andrew Rizzo, Adam Pittman, Nathaniel Peterson, and David Blair. That's one um, based on just what you're saying would might make a fun uh, comparison double feature. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I will say that it, it is interesting to note when I came out of this movie, uh, my, my friend Tyson and I, we came out and we talked about it a little bit, but we both had sort of the same look on our face. In fact, I, I can't remember which review it was or, or tweet that you read where the person just said they, they came out just a little confused. And it's not as if you didn't understand the story or where it went. It's just emotional. Like you didn't know how to feel. I, like I don't know how to yeah. feel like I know I liked it, but I don't know why. <laughs> Okay. Other <laughs> other than the beauty and the, you know, it's it just, it feels weird. Like so many other movies you can come like, oh, I know why I loved it. And it just, I'm struggling with that. And I'm, to this day, I saw this on uh, Friday. So, you know, it's been three days and I'm still struggling with it. So I think that's a good thing personally. So when I came out of this movie, it was on, and and don't freak out, Juan. I'm, I'm going back up. Just, just know that 6.5 to 7 range for me was where I started at. And yeah. most of that was just for the artistry. Like, and in fact, I wanted to go even higher, just, just purely based on the artistry. But the more I thought about it, I was like, it, we've had a couple of days go by. It's settled in me. It, it's not it hung over me like a dark cloud, like hereditary did. But every once in a while, it will come back into my thought. And I'll be like, you know, and what did that mean? You know, and I'll find myself, and I'm like, that's a good thing. That is a really good thing in this day and age to find myself going back and thinking about a movie. Only the only other movie this year that I've done that with, uh, with any real effort was Us. 
And that's the only other movie that I've had that had that effect on me. So for me, this has gone back up. It is now at an eight. So I hope that's acceptable. Really? It is it is jumped. Wow. It is now gone from a like a six point five seven ish <laughs> to an eight. So because okay. the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? The craft is too strong. And and honestly, I could see how for somebody else this would be a nine point five or a ten. I could see that. Uh, it just for me, it was an eight. And I want to be. I want to be. I want to own my truth, Josh. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and it's funny because we talk about these movies. You know, I say it fell flat for you, but you gave it an eight. Like that's a really yes. really high score. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it'll be fun to check this one out. I know this is going to be a movie a lot of people, it seems, are going to be talking about at the end of the year. So we're probably far from being finished with talking about this film. Yeah. But um, maybe, yeah, I think that sounds like a really fun end of summer episode if we can pull it together. Yeah, that would be like a Wicker Man double yes. feature with Midsummer. If, if we can get it done, that sounds like a blast to me. But thank you so much for going out on a limb and reviewing this by yourself and taking on a complicated film. It really was um, <laughs> it right really after is. seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, on, and, and honestly, the same day that I recorded almost a two hour episode with Daryl and Peter about do the right thing. So needless to say, my brain is oh, kind of wow. scrambled right now, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say that I am super excited to hear you and Dave re- review this thing. I mean, that's maybe uh, we can get Peter on for that episode too. Great. I know we, oh, it's be been a struggle with the time difference yes. to get him on, but I, I would love to figure that out. Yes, we will. I apologize. Did you already tell people your recommendation as well? See it in the theater? Oh, no, I did not. Thank you for making sure. Yeah, I, I think you should. If you are a fan of Ari Aster, if you're a fan of horror movies, and honestly, just to show support for great art and great horror movies, you should absolutely see us in the theater and vote with your dollars. I think that is necessary. You know, so many people will complain about, oh, you know, we don't get, you know, although I think nowadays, I think we're getting better about the whole, we do get lots of great horror movies, but you know, for a long time there, we didn't and we don't when you don't go and watch them. So I think it is absolutely one to see in the theater. I think it's going to depend on the person as far as owning it. I'm on the fence as to because I feel mm-hmm. like if I owned it, it's almost more like I would want to own it and do screenshots of the images and, you know, make them paintings to hang on my wall <laughs> in yeah. a sense uh, than to relive the story over and over. Because, you know, again, the story being what it was, I don't know about that. But visually, just to uh, go back and watch pieces of this movie and just appreciate the, the craft, which I want to call out. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and I apologize, but uh, Powell Pogorzelski, Pogorzelski, I guess is how it's pronounced. He's the DP on this thing. He's a cinematographer. This is his second movie. His first was Hereditary. Are you kidding me? I mean, he did some short. He did some shorts, which I'm presuming were shorts done with Ari Aster and maybe some other folks. But holy mackerel, that is insane. That's cool. So, other than our good friend Willis Wheeler, who I've I've seen some reactions from not loving this film, who's going to hate this movie? Um, is, is it the people who don't like slow burns? Yes. People who don't, if okay. you don't like a slow burn, if, if any, even hint of pretension annoys you, you're going to, you, yeah, art films, you're going to probably have a problem because I think okay. that there is that, I mean, there is the, the other thing I have heard so hand, a handful of people accuse it of is being a self-indulgent or a little pretentious. I could see that too. Now that does stuff does unless it's just heavy handed. I, I get more annoyed by when things are like preachy, like I'm an idiot and like, okay, really? Oh, that's, I mean, I could go on my tirade later on about the movie crash uh, for, from 2000, whatever it was about how I just, that movie drives me crazy. It's like, Oh really? I didn't know that was bad. And so, uh, but <laughs> yeah. that's where I get annoyed. So, but if you're the kind of person that gets 
super annoyed at that. I have a feeling you'll have a problem. And I honestly think that you, not that the horror audience is only in two, you know, separate lanes and they can't be in the one. I don't agree with that. Right. I feel like I'm in both. I like right. a, a good conjuring movie. I like a good, I like those kinds of things, but, but there are people who are in very specific lanes. Yes, they are. And for those people, I think, you, you know, for you, if you're the kind of person like, look, I like my horror to just be down and dirty and to the point And just, I want, you know, to be just like a straight up slasher flick, or I'm looking for like, a, I'm in a haunted house, you know, that the, the, the local junior league or whatever's putting on, then I would say this is probably not the movie for you. It is, okay. it is almost definitely not the movie for you, but for anybody else, people who like all kinds of horror, people who love a great art film that happens to has a really disturbing images in it. <laughs> this is something I think you'll really enjoy. Awesome. Great job, Joel. Thank you. All right. So let's kick it over to Wolfman Josh and Find out what he's going to review. Oh, okay. Well, uh, there are two films that I am going to talk about that I'm pretty excited about. They're both small, like low to no budget indie films. One of them won our Handmade Horror Award during a Horror Cinema Awards. So it's been mentioned briefly on the show, but I've not had a chance to review it yet. I remember promising at that time that I would review it on our very next Frankensteinian episode. I just didn't anticipate that would be several months in our future (laughs) (laughs) when I said that. So very excited to talk about Mondeo of the dead. So that kid killed himself in Navy's garage. I mean, why would he do that? I need your help. You were actually projecting last night, right? Yeah. If you could somehow astro project back in time and stop me from going to Maeve's, what the? You can bring me back, man. You ready? I go away. Holy moly! It's Uncle Jay. Can you hear me? Hey, Uncle Jay. What? Did you call? Wait, yours, Uncle? People drink blood, Jackson. Throughout history, it's not that unusual. Oh, mate. Here, take this. Thanks, man. That's 10 bucks. Dude, we're cousins. Yeah, this is a family discount. I'm not leaving without my money unless you want me to stay. You want me to stay? How much is that going to cost me? (laughs) Monday of the Dead is written and directed by Scott Dunn. It also stars Scott Dunn as Jay Mondeo, as well as Sean Liang, Sean McBride, Gina Gomez, who is also one of the producers, Marissa Hood, and David Gallegos. A really awesome main cast there. It's an extremely captivating little indie film. And I, I, I hate to say little, but it, does, it has a little feel to it, which is, it is a handmade film. It is a very, very low-budget movie. It's pulled off extremely well, though. And it's so charming. And it's just, it's a movie that has a very light feel to it. So the very most basic of IMDb premises is Jay Mondeo and his adult nephew, Jackson use astral projection to reverse a ghost's death on Halloween. And so what it is really, it's kind of like a fantasy sci-fi horror comedy. It's mostly an indie comedy, but it has these elements of horror, sci-fi and fantasy. And you have this guy, Jay, who 
is slowly honing his skills in astral projection. And as he's able to do this, he realizes he can use this to time travel. And he uh, is witness to a murder and uh, maybe committed by a vampire. We're not sure. And he is able to interact with ghosts with the dead on that astral plane. And so he decides he's going to use his new power of astral projection to try to travel through time and stop this murder. Of course, like any good time travel film, he ends up usually causing more problems uh, than there were to begin with that. He then has to figure out how to undo all of the uh, problems that he creates for himself. So it's a fun little film. It sounds kind of convoluted as i describe it it's not it's really straightforward again just a really light fun film um it has that indie comedy vibe i don't know if they don't for viewers who haven't seen a lot of indie films this used to be my bread and butter this is what indie films are kind of what took me from being just kind of a general film fan to a cinephile it's when i discovered indie film in the 90s it was really delving into films that were festivals and getting these kind of really limited releases um and they have their own vibe to them you know and i think indie film as we knew it sort of died down for about a decade and i think it's starting to climb its way back you know uh, in in the way that it had been before and i think part of that was this digital revolution which has been really great because it's democratized filmmaking but it also allowed a lot of people who aren't really filmmake storytellers to get into filmmaking and so i think for a while there we just got a lot of crap and i think what we're seeing now uh, are people who have storytelling in their blood who now have access to that that equipment and we're getting some really good stories and i think man day of the dead is a good example this reminds me of i think it's it's completely different than but it reminds me of the types of films we saw from like an early Kevin Smith or um, even Quentin Tarantino. Again, not like their movies at all, but what it reminds me of is you see a filmmaker who you're like, Oh wow. Okay. Like clerks is rough. Like the acting's bad. It's shot poorly, but I can tell this person has a huge amount of talent and could go on and do something. Same with like reservoir dogs. Like you see reservoir dogs. You're like, wow. What did I just see? That was kind of crazy. I'm really curious to see what this person does next, you know, and again, not in the same world as those. This is a film that actually looks really good. It's shot really well. The cinematography is great. It's well lit. It's pretty well acted. Like I would say, you know, it's a very small cast. Some are stronger than others, but some are really strong. Uh, there are a few performances that just had me cracking up. Like Sean Liang is in very few scenes, but he's just a scene stealer and everything he is in is hilarious. Really the main cast is all pretty strong and um, believable. I love Scott Dunn in this film. I, you know, when I first found this movie, I didn't realize that the director was also the star and I was really a big fan of the lead, Jay Mondeo, um, Scott Dunn. And I, I didn't realize until starting to prepare for this podcast like oh he's also the director um he looks very different like on his twitter profile for instance than he does in the movie i don't even recognize that it was the same guy to be honest so um it was cool to realize oh this guy he not only wrote and directed the film he also starred in it he also edited it he's a producer so uh, he's really the auteur of this piece although you know of course i'm sure all these other people contributed a lot the cinematography as i said is 
impeccable. And this has the feel of a film that was made by a group of friends. It reminds me a lot of Napoleon dynamite. You know, I worked with the Napoleon dynamite guys on a lot of their early stuff. You know, they were in college around the same time I was, and they, you know, that film came out in my local area the short film version of Napoleon came out and, you know, it was at my like local college film festival. And I worked on the film that those producers did after that, which was called um, humble pie or American fork, depending on where you saw it. But this has that kind of vibe to it. it has a little bit of a student film vibe to it because, you know, it's like in an apartment with white walls, that kind of thing <laughs> um, that you don't see as much if, well, you know, with people with budgets, it's got really, low rent effects but they're smart in that they do a lot of the astral projection with like practicals like practically with just lighting tricks and with editing tricks and and they don't really try to do visual effects and they they, when they occasionally do it's unfortunate because that is where you can see kind of the the cheapness of it but it it still looks pretty good like i have to hand it them they this must have been like around a ten thousand dollar budget. I, th- I think they said it was under twelve thousand. Actually, that's what I remember them saying. But it looks like it's at least one to two hundred thousand, which is maybe wow. maybe not a huge distinction for people who don't know a lot about any budgets. But I'm, what I'm trying to communicate is, it looks like it cost a lot more than it did. They did a really great job here. This is not going to be for everybody. If you don't like kind of quirky indie anti-comedy you're not going to enjoy this um it's pretty light on the horror although i've almost exclusively seen it described as a horror comedy around the internet um there's not a ton of horror here other than the fact that again there's a potential vampire there's definitely a murder um but but it's mostly using the trappings of science fiction and fantasy and horror uh, for this kind of fun character-based comedy and it is a lot of fun. And it's a film that I can strongly recommend to people who enjoy indie film. Again, this was the winner of our handmade horror award. I believe at the time we actually called it the down and dirty award before I realized like that maybe doesn't sound like a compliment. <laughs> so or it sounds uh, like a different genre. It sounds like a different film genre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going forward on the horror cinema awards and the, you know, and it really, it was inspired by Mandeo of the dead because I saw that film and I thought, this is so cool. We don't, we don't really honor films on this budgetary level very often on our show. Um, and we should. And so that's, it, this film actually inspired that award category. So um, it's a movie I, I want people to check out. If it sounds like it's their cup of tea, again, it's not going to be for everybody, but it is pretty easily accessible. It's available for every, on all the streaming services. Um, you, if you have Amazon prime, you can watch it for free. Uh, they also do have a Blu-ray available, which I'm definitely going to pick up now. I've seen this now twice and I really enjoyed it. And they also have, um, I think they had a limited VHS run for mm, very cool, uh, like Kickstarter backers. That, that was how I first actually, I think that's how I first stumbled upon them. There was a video online of them making uh, their VHS tapes for their Kickstarter backer. I think that's how I first heard about the film. I can't remember exactly, but um do they just seem like a cool group of people? You know, they're they're true guerrilla filmmakers. They're they're doing it. They're making it happen. And I, I'm it's inspiring. They're kind of inspiring to me. I just I think it's a I love seeing people like this, um, out there doing their thing without care for 
industry expectations or you know what's what's marketable they're doing the kinds of films that they want to make and and i really appreciate that and i, I really liked mente now i will say it's a mistake i think to, your main character here his name is jay mondeo and as we know on this show if they had been listening i think they do listen to the show now actually but i think had they been listening earlier they may have even considered do, calling their film jay of the dead <laughs> <laughs> their character's name is Jay Mondeo and the film is he would have, he would have never let any of us live that down if he had a movie <laughs> named after him my goodness <laughs> and they are doing a sequel so keep that in mind you know if you're listening Scott Dunn keep that in mind I don't know if they are listening but I think the sequel as of now is called Mondeo Returns which is also a great title for the film and I will definitely be watching the sequel when it comes out and so, what, what did you rate a lot this? of fun stuff uh, this one, I probably, you know, objectively, I'd probably give it something in the 7.5 range, but this is a high priority rental recommendation for me. And again, I am going to buy it. So, okay. um, I, but, I, but I think since you can see it for free on Amazon prime, if this is your type of film, very easy to see. You sold me. I'm going to watch this. I love that it's fun, I, especially when you brought up the whole nineties and in indie film. And I just, you know, I was so, you know, uh, had my own little aspirations at that point in my life. And, and you talk about the budget being, you know, under 12,000. I remember when brothers McMullen had come out, it was, you know, they only had $23,000. And of course, El Mariachi, right. the classic, you know, only $7,000. And at the time, right. you know, when you have no money, it's <laughs> like, Oh, wow, that's a lot of money. I got to come up with, but, uh, but just uh, that a movie looks this good and seems this, uh, well put together and I, and I, and I love, yeah. but I love the vibe as you described. I like movies with that vibe. So I will definitely, yeah. definitely check this out. It's one. It's definitely one worth checking out. Yeah. Cool. So, and it's Mandeo M A N D A O just in case anybody's. Yes. That up. Okay. Yeah. Hard to, yeah. Maybe hard to spell M A N D A O, which is so this, I mean, I, I didn't mention this, but um, this character, he lives off of his father's, serial fortune so his father was the inventor of some cereal called Man mandeos and uh his father's since passed away and he's kind of living off of his uh the residuals from his cereal cereal <laughs> okay yeah. it's a little silly it's a little goofy it's a little cheesy and it starts out worse and like it, i would say the strongest portion is the middle two-thirds it once it takes off it really took off for me you know it's again very low budget so it doesn't totally come together at the end for me the beginning it seems a little more arch than the rest of it does but i promise you if you get through that first couple minutes it feels fresh and it's just so well shot for you can see the budget again in that like they don't have the most magnificent locations or whatever but they really make the most of it through cinematography and even again like they don't it doesn't seem like they have a great production design budget but they really it is very thoughtfully put together every cut every shot every bit of background art direction like it's there it's just not you know the biggest budget to do it mm -hmm. now i feel like this is the last question i'll have to ask you but it's an important one this takes place in and or around halloween correct that's correct and, and i know that for me and for some of my other fellow film fans, like my good buddy, Doug, if he's listening, he knows who I'm talking about. He is a stickler for if a movie takes place around Halloween that has a Halloween vibe, has that autumnal feeling. Does this movie have that? Well, it takes place in Los Angeles, I believe. Uh, okay. Well, so, so it's, it's Die Hard not... Christmas. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, I mean, there's uh, they, they do a good job with what they have. That's how okay. that's all. Okay. You know, okay. There, there, there are a couple Halloween parties within the context of the film. Okay. Um, it's shot cleverly. So you 
if you're just into the story, you're probably not going to notice that there's only four people at the party, but you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's shot well enough that you don't, you, those things are not on your mind unless you're looking for it. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Excellent. Nice. All right. Looking forward to that one. And you can, you can actually get the Blu-ray at mandeofilms.com. There you go. Uh, they have it for $14.99. Now it is $5 to ship within the U S. So you're looking at 1999, which for a Blu-ray is not bad. And yeah. you get that straight straight from them. It's not on Amazon or anything. You got to go right out to mandeofilms.com. Thanks, Dave. Yep. The other film that I wanted to talk about tonight is another of these low budget to no budget indie films. Um, this one also is kind of on the outskirts of horror uh, in terms of strict classification. It is more um, overtly horror than Mandeo of the Dead, I will say. It's a found footage film, and it's one of the most clever found footage films I've seen in years. I mean, definitely, it's maybe not as good as uh, Be My Cat, (laughs) because that is so insanely unique. Right. But this is kind of a meta found footage film, and they do it so well. It's... It's commenting on the found footage genre. It's commenting on what works and doesn't work about found footage as a storytelling device. And at the same time, it is a found footage film. It's Butterfly Kisses 2018. And the very first one that I pick up says, final solution. A young lady uh, identifies herself as Sophia Crane. And then it got a little upsetting after that. (laughs) There's no cuts. There's no retakes. There's no calling for action. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that somebody is directing them. We have the possibility that this whole thing is real. And we have the possibility that this whole thing is a largely plausible hoax. If you're working with all these elements, you can, journalistically speaking, you can construct your own story out of whatever footage you choose to, to, to put in there. I do not believe that this video is authentic. I think there's some acting involved, there's some effects involved. And I think that it's kind of disturbing that he feels that the only way to market this footage is to pretend it's real. This has been done a thousand times before, and we think it's a scam. I'm not the only one, it's everyone. We're going to take this footage to every professional in town that we can find. Ghost hunters, mythbusters. We're going to go to the radio stations. We're going to the TV stations. We're going to show the footage and we're going to saturate the market with this information. Then we're going to prove to the world that Peeping Tom exists. The camera doesn't lie. Butterfly Kisses 2018. This is directed by Eric Christopher Myers and written by Eric Christopher Myers. So Butterfly Kisses focuses on a local legend like Candyman or the Ma- Mothman. In this case, the character is called the Peeping Tom or the Blink Man, I believe, is the alternate name that you hear him referred to within the context of the film. Um, and what you have here is a documentary crew finds a filmmaker who he himself has found a collection of tapes. And he says, look, I found these tapes. I've watched them. They are shot by another documentary crew. So this is so convoluted explaining it, but I promise it doesn't feel like this in the movie. Um, let, me, let me explain it this way. 
in 2004, <laughs> there were two student filmmakers doing a tale about a local legend, the Peeping Tom, in a very similar to the Blair Witch Project kind of way. They're trying to uncover the story of their local legend. They disappear. In 2015, their tapes were uncovered by another filmmaker who decides he's going to take their tapes, watch them, and edit them together into a feature film. His actions are being documented by a third filmmaker who is making a documentary about him assembling the footage of the first film crew. Is that clear as mud? Got it. Very that, clear. That make any sense? <laughs> okay. So what we're watching for the majority of the film is a documentary about a filmmaker assembling this found footage. And then throughout the course of that, we're following not only that filmmaker's story about his life and his film, his kind of failed film career and his experience with these tapes, but also the film within a film of the 2004 filmmakers as they are going on this harrowing journey to uncover this local legend. And so it's very apparent that the 2004 filmmakers are in a great deal of danger as they're uncovering the story of the peeping Tom. Uh, that monster, as it were, is contacted by standing at one end of a train tunnel in this small town in Maryland. And you have to stare with your eyes open down through the end of this tunnel for one hour at midnight without blinking, which is a nearly impossible task. They even interview um, an expert on eyes an ophthalmologist or something during that original film where he basically says you know i think the world record for keeping your eyes open is like 15 minutes and you know even then your eyes would be in a huge amount of pain to keep your eyes open for that long without blinking but what they find is when they go to this place um the tunnel seems to stare back at you and there's something kind of hypnotic that happens when you look down this tunnel anyway if you're able to keep your eyes open for an hour in the staring contest with the darkness, essentially um, the peeping Tom, the blink man appears at the other end of the tunnel. And then from that moment on, once he's appeared to you, he never leaves. And every time you blink your eyes, he comes closer and closer and closer until he's overtaken you essentially. And so, you, you know, you're finished. Well, these filmmakers, they're trying to prove whether this is real or not. And they can't really find anyone in their local town. Who can, they even get like the staring contest champion to come out with them to the tracks. And he can't keep his eyes open long enough to complete this mission. Then they get this realization. Maybe the iris of our camera would work the way a human eye was. And maybe if we just leave the camera open for an hour, we'll be able to capture this monster on film on our camera. And hilarity ensues, as Andy would have said on Movie Podcast Weekly. <laughs> so um, that is the story within the story. The story that we're following primarily, though, is the story of the 2015 filmmaker. And he is going through a, a really difficult time. His name is Gavin York. He's played by Seth Adam Kallick. And he is, you know, he started out as a filmmaker with all these aspirations, kind of like we were just talking about Joel. Um, at some point he realized this isn't going great. And he kind of transferred into making wedding videos. This is the story of like half the film folks. I know. I was so going to say this real, sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah. It's a very relatable story. Yeah. And he's realizes he's not making money. 
him and his wife are kind of struggling with the bills. She wants him to get a real job. He's doing wedding videos that kind of like keeps the dream alive that he is a filmmaker, but eventually he realizes that's not the case. And he has to kind of deal with the acceptance of that reality. And then he finds these tapes and he thinks this could be my shot. Like I'm going to assemble this footage. I'm going to make this film that they never finished. And this could be my chance at international superstar. And the tapes have this kind of uh, effect on him where he just can't, you know, he can't give up on this dream. This to him seems like the way he's going to revitalize or truthfully to have a career for the first time, you know? And so it, the film follows him trying to get other people to not only watch his work, but also um, validate that it's real, that this is a, a true event that happened. And so he takes it to, uh, some really interesting folks like the, the people who actually work on finding Bigfoot, the television series and try to get their input. Like, do you think this is real? This is real footage. There's a, there's a secret special guest in this film that works in that way as well, uh, where they take it and they say, can you verify it? Do you think this is real or not? I'm not going to spoil who that is, but <clears throat> it's interesting. It's perfect. And, there are a few moments like that where he's trying to say, look, look, I promise you this is a real thing. And the thing is, is people are skeptical. They say, oh, this is just another hoax, like the Blair Witch Project. You're trying to get us to believe that this is real, but it's not really. And this has been done a million times. And, you know, he's like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, this is actual footage. Just I found it. But this is not a horror movie. This is real stuff that I found and nobody believes him. Right? And then we start to see the effects from the original 2004 film bleed over into his life a bit. Then we break to the third set of filmmakers who are following him with their documentary. And we kind of follow them for the last third of the film. And it's really fascinating because the, all three of these stories are intermixed. Um, it has a really high production value level for the type of film it is. It, is very believable as a film within a film documentary. It has the problem of a lot of found footage films where um, the stuff that's supposed to be, I guess the most real, that original found footage, the acting's pretty good. It's well-directed, but it's still, you know, it's, you can tell you're watching a movie. It's not, it's not ever going to fool anyone to think that this was actually found. You know, the, it's just hard to get actors on that level, on the budget level that these guys are at. But I will say that the film within a film, the documentary portion feels real and i'm that's the thing i'm always the most nitpicky about with found footage movies like the 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 taking of deborah logan i just think that does not feel like how what real documentary filmmakers would do they don't it doesn't feel like a real movie this one does like this feels like a low budget indie documentary is being shot and i 100 bought into that um it does the other problem it has that a lot of these films do is you can just tell there are scenes where people are kind of ad-libbing or they don't really, they kind of know the general direction they want to go with the scene. And a lot of the information's repeated and not like really always moving the story forward. Those are like the, the biggest problems I had with it. But by and large, I would say this is one of the more creative, successful found footage movies I've seen in a very long time. And uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out if you are interested in kind of that meta experience. Now, again, most of the focus is on kind of like this, uh, postmodern kind of examination of the of the found footage film, and it's not super hardcore horror in terms of violence or tension or scares, but it's really focused on 
these filmmakers, these different sets of filmmakers and kind of their journeys, what they're going through, but it's fascinating. And it is, I would say distinctly in the horror genre, but it's just not like, I've actually, I've seen people online that we know um, say they thought this was terrifying pretty recently. That was really scary. I didn't have that effect on me, maybe because I was so in my head about it as someone who really related to these characters and under, like, you know, just the way I look at this world. But um, great movie. Again, I would probably give this one a 7.5, but I'd call it a high priority rental recommendation. And I'd tell everybody to check it out. Butterfly Kisses 2018. Okay, I have to ask you this because it says, and I always feel skeptical about what I see on MDBA, so I have to ask. It says it's rated G, but everything you just described, if The Conjuring was rated R purely because it was quote-unquote too scary, I feel like just on creep factor alone from what you described, this movie should be at least a PG. Is there a reason why it would be rated G? Man, that is fascinating. I... I, I can't remember the language, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like there are a couple pretty disturbing, violent ideas in the film, but it's not. You could argue that it's not like close-ups of like the really intense violence. But, but you would think it, it would still give that at least a PG if even it's suggested, right? I mean, you would think. I don't know. That's all. I mean, I would I would have guessed this was PG thirteen or a light R for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised to see the G. That's why I feel like that might be wrong. <laughs> I, I have seen I have seen that there are a few weird shenanigans going on with this film. You know, where it's like the cast people are listed as themselves as opposed, to, or like they have the wrong name associated with okay. them. There's there's been a lot of like disinformation around this. You know, because as you see, if you're looking at the IMDb page, it's listed as a documentary mm-hmm. rather than like a mockumentary. And Got so it. there yeah. are there have been some kind of weird shenanigans around it. Maybe the G rating is part of that playing into that somehow. But. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I know this is fascinating. I, I would like to see this one as well. Yeah, it's it's worth checking out. Uh, now I, I will say it's gonna be most interesting to people who love found footage movies. I think if you're not a found footage fan this is probably not going to interest you that much. I don't think this is going to be the one that turns you, but if you enjoy found footage, I, it's a must see, you know? And I think if you're someone like me who you like found footage, but you're always kind of overly skeptical about the filmmaking processes and, you know, it could, this really be real. I think this is one that is worth checking out just for that aspect of it. Okay. I am. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of found footage. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I'd say check it out. I'm middle of the road. I sort of, it, as long as it's done well, I love found footage, but oftentimes. This one's also streaming uh, for free if you have Prime. So for Amazon Prime uh, subscribers, this is a good week in terms of my film reviews. <laughs> They're both available there. Excellent. All right. So thank you to Wolfman Josh for those two great reviews. Actually, two movies that I've never even heard of that uh, I. Really looking forward to checking out. So thank you for that, Josh. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So I have to pop off for, for the rest of this show basically. And I apologize to my co-hosts and to the listeners. I, um, not everyone knows, but I'm moving soon. And so I, uh, it's kind of, it's a very long convoluted story, but basically I have to have everything out of my house in the next five days. Um, and then I will be, um, kind of on vacation for the summer and then moving after that. So, but we are going to be renting our house out during that whole time. So I need to get everything out now 
and I'm running out of time. And so I can't stay for the whole show, but I apologize to everyone. And thank you guys for holding down the fort. Absolutely. Thank you. Before I go, I have to talk to our listeners about our new sponsor, Stitcher Premium, which I'm super excited is supporting our show, and we hope you'll support them too. Everyone should be checking out Stitcher because you can use it for free, $0 a month, to stream and download any and all of your favorite podcasts. However, there is a premium monthly plan for $4.99 and a premium annual plan for $2.92, where you not only stream and download all your favorite podcasts, but you get 21,000 hours of premium podcasts, plus bonus episodes and archives, ad-free shows, 300-plus comedy albums, early access to new releases, and more. I'm going to take just a minute to talk about some of my favorite podcasts that are available on Stitcher Premium. How about How Did This Get Made? I know some of our listeners listen to that. Movie Podcast Network host William Rowan Jr. is a huge fan of that show, and it's one that I'm very familiar with as well. Their very latest episode is one to check out. It's Jaws 3D. Now, what these guys do is they take... Films that are usually roundly regarded as terrible, and they actually talk about some of the better aspects of them. It's three comedians having hilarious conversations and asking the question, how did this get made, of films such as Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. That episode features Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. And Van Helsing, this one also featuring Seth Rogen, and this time Ricky Lindholm, who of course horror fans will know from Last House on the Left, and Hell Baby. They talk about the Meg. They talk about Jack Frost. They riff on bad costumes, bizarre dialogue, strange acting choices. But they also take time to celebrate the weirdness of these films. And as they say in the old theme song anyway, try to not just be a hater, but try to figure out how these movies even exist. Or if you're looking for some new true crime shows to check out, you can check out True Crime Garage Off the Record, the latest project from True Crime Garage hosts Nick and Captain. Join them each week as they revisit some of the most haunting cases they've covered to date. This is a compilation of hidden treasures, a chance to dive deeper, discuss new theories, and get updates on your favorite podcast of the True Crime Garage. And as I mentioned with Stitcher Premium, you'll also get hundreds of hours of original content, early access to new releases, exclusive bonus episodes, archives, and so much more. And of course, our show, Horror Movie Podcast, is also available twice a month on Stitcher Premium. To get a free month trial of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code HMP. That's stitcherpremium.com and promo code HMP. You guys would really appreciate it if you can support us by checking out this free service. It costs you nothing and it helps us a lot. And before I run off, I wanted to share two really kind pieces of listener feedback as well. Awesome. We had a comment here from King Ghidorah, who I was waiting for his comment ever since we reviewed the <laughs> film. In fact, I was thinking about him the entire film. What is he going to think of, of our review? And what is he going to think of this film? <laughs> that was, I was curious. Um, and uh, he didn't leave a ton of feedback on it other than he liked it. But this was the one comment that I thought was really great. I wanted to share with you, Joel. And this was uh, on the comment. Uh, in the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com in case you missed it. He said, I ran my first marathon two weekends ago. To prep, I spent an absurd amount of time curating a marathon playlist of my favorite prog rock albums to get me to the finish line. Coheed and Cambria, Rush, The Who, etc. 
And what do you think happened on race day? Like another fool, I forgot to download my playlist from Spotify. Amateur hour, I tell you. I was 26 miles from the finish line with absolutely zero music. So naturally, I fired up the HMP episodes as yet unlistened to in my queue. I usually don't slip once they've downloaded, but it seems that the At Your Mercy 2 episode and this Godzilla episode were saved in my queue for a reason. So I thought that was awesome. That is awesome. Uh (laughs) And I also find it awesome that... He ran a 26 mile marathon and only needed two of our episodes. And the best part of that story <laughs> is that he left off. He only got through half of one. And so by the end of the, by the, time he hit the finish line, that's hilarious. Yeah. So I, that is cool. That is super cool that we were with him the whole way. And it's amazing. Honestly, bravo to you, sir. Cause the running a marathon to get to running a marathon is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vicariously through our listeners. Cause that is an amazing achievement. That is awesome. Yeah, that is, that is really cool. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Sean Smith who emailed us a few days ago. I guess it was a little over a week ago at this yes. point. Says HMP. I have completed listening to all 175 episodes of this amazing podcast. I did it in a fairly short amount of time as I ignored all other podcasts so that I could catch up to everything. I've also re-listened to my favorite episodes and have to acknowledge some of your great work. So wanted to really thank Sean for taking the time to do that. And he actually came through and listed, you know, a dozen or so of his, of his favorite reviews, um, which included episodes that Joel had been on from back in the day, like our Stephen King coverage. And I will follow up with his closing remarks. He said, so thank you for all of your hard work in creating and posting these podcasts. I've been able to listen nonstop for a while. And so now I have to wait the requisite two weeks for new episodes. I'm sure I'll appreciate them all that much more. You guys have entertained and educated me on one of the great film genres. And I am grateful. Look forward to many more episodes and seasons of the great horror movie podcast. Sincerely, Sean Smith. So thank you so much, Sean. That's very kind. Yes. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it too. So, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. And, uh, you know, I'm here on this show, and eventually I'm going to have a lot of downtime this summer. Once I get all this stuff done, we'll get all those other podcasts going as well. So thanks to our listeners, and thanks to you guys. All right. Thank you very much, Wolfman Josh. Safe travels, safe moving, safe everything else you have going on. Yep. Yeah, good luck with everything. All right. So that was Wolfman's review. So thank you so much for that, Wolfman. Now let's go to Dr. Shocks. All right. Well, the first movie, what I did was I took um, from our last, uh, well, we had a two-episode listener pick at your mercy. And I did end up doing two reviews from each one, one with, um, you know, regular review and one that I was able to sneak in as a collector's script. Uh, I'm not doing that tonight. These are just two straight up reviews. But again, I'm going back to the recommendations of the listeners because I really wanted to check out a few more of these films. Uh, The first one I got to see was Trailer Park of Terror. Everybody around here knows Norma. Trailer Park Queen. How sweet you are behind that. You know, the weaker ones among us would have you believe that violence never pays. I say, therein lies salvation. We're all about 
challenging these kids' limitations. We show them there's nothing they can't do without faith and, and God's help. Dragging us up to the mountains and trying to save our souls. Look out! There won't be any freaks there. We could really use some help. Oh. If you're looking for help, you came to the right place. Well, once upon a time, there was a lovely princess. And she lived in a kingdom ruled by evil men. <laughs> Boom! Alex? Trailer Park of Terror. And this was recommended by Graham the Horned Marshmallow on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually based on a comics, Imperium Comics series called Trailer Park of Terror. The movie opens in 1981 and it's sort of the sad story of uh, Norma. She's the prettiest girl in the trailer park. She only wants to get away from the lowlifes around her uh, on a daily basis, you know, they all, they're always just sort of taunt her and tease her, and she really wants to make something of herself. So she lands this classy guy, but of course the bozos in the park screw that up for her. And Norma, she has a run-in with a shady cowboy who probably is a demon from hell. At least we're given all the clues that he's a demon from hell. And he talks her into taking her revenge on these um, these clowns at the trailer park. So she kills everyone. And burns down the park, taking herself out in the process, but, you know, with every intention of taking herself out in the process. And that's the end of the trailer park. Well, now we jump ahead to modern day. You know, this, this was 81. Now we're up into the, I guess, 2017, 2018 range. There's a pastor taking a group of troubled teens on a retreat. And while he's out driving, he's on these dark roads at night during a rainstorm and he has an accident. So they all need to find shelter for the night. And they happen to be next to a trailer park. But it's not just any trailer park. It's Norma's trailer park. And to our surprise, Norma is running the place. Not looking a day older than the last time we saw her all those years ago. And she's not alone. And as you can imagine, that spells trouble for the Reverend and his brood. It's, it's a low-budget horror film. and You know, you hear Trailer Park from Hell, you're thinking, well, comedy. And there is comedy. It's definitely sort of a horror comedy, but not a straight-up comedy. I, I think, I think it's, it's definitely more horror-centric than it is comedic. But you know it's low-budget. Uh, but I will say the opening scene where we see what happened to Norma in 1981 is strong. I mean, I liked that opening scene, that, oh, that entire sequence that opened the film. And I like the immediate follow-up with the Reverend and the kids when they find themselves at the trailer park. I was definitely into the movie. I'd say the first half of this movie is really strong. Now, Nicole Hiltz, who plays Norma, she is she's great. She does a great job as the poor girl being tormented by the trailer park thugs. Uh, we even see more of her depressing past with a flashback involving her mother, who loved her daughter and wanted to see her make something of herself, but didn't last long enough to actually see it through but uh nicole hiltz is is even better as the twisted manager of this place later on when the when the reverend shows up and takes pleasure in causing people pain it's really interesting to have a character that has like such a huge i guess scope where we're very sympathetic and then looking saying oh my god you got to take this person out and 
Nicole Hills plays both sides of Norma very well. Definitely one of the strongest parts of this movie. There are some good gore scenes also. I, I did watch the unrated version. There is an, uh, the DVD had an R-rated and an unrated version. I ended up watching the unrated version. Uh, there is one sequence, though, that was not very good uh, involving a severed arm. Uh, when you look at it, neither what, what was left of the character's arm or the piece of it that was laying on the floor, if you were to put the two of them together, it wouldn't equal a full arm. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking when they put that together, but it, it was almost laughable. It was so obvious. But uh, I did like that. That was, you know, for, for a low budget film, I did think that the gore was, was pretty good. And there's some makeup effects that are, that are, that are good also. There is also a very uncomfortable scene involving a tub of boiling oil. And I'll let your imagination run wild with that one. Where I had a problem with the movies in the second half, when things get a bit wild, even though it was getting crazy, it just wasn't as interesting to me. The killings were just sort of stacked on top of one another. They were telegraphed. You could see what was going to happen to each one, and you could tell who was going to come after them in, in some instances, not all, but in some instances. And my interest started to wane at that point. And that's the point where they should have really grabbed you once things got, you know, off the chain. Also, the supporting characters, other than Norma in the trailer park, they were one note, very stere stereotypical. The performances were not bad. It's just the characters themselves. They just didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot of uh, meat on the bones, I guess. It wasn't a long movie. I'm not sure how it was. I think it was under an hour and a half, but the second half felt almost like an hour and a half to me. It just, and it was when things were getting crazy. It just didn't, it just didn't gel. It didn't flow for me. And, and I, I was really losing interest at that point. I'd still say it's worth a watch. I'd say it's a six out of 10 and I'd recommend it as a rental. There are some decent elements to it, you know, I, and I, I ended up liking a movie called Trailer Park of terror i keep i might keep saying horror but i liked the movie trailer park of terror more than i thought i would when you hear the title wow i, I did see that priscilla barnes also known as terry from three's company was in it at least according to the credits do you remember oh, seeing really? her yeah she said she played Jean. i don't know if she was part of Jean. pastor lewis's group because it says pastor no, lewis not part of pastor lewis's group because they were all teenagers okay. yeah so it had to be one of the uh one in the trailer park, huh? Yeah. I'm trying to remember which one Jean was. She, hers is the only name that jumped out at me from the credit list. So That's interesting. I, I didn't even know that. I didn't even realize she was in that. That was a really good review because I've never even heard of this movie, and you've made me want to check it out. Yeah, I hadn't either, so I want to thank uh, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow for, <laughs> very nice. for recommending this one. Yeah, very cool. All right, so what is your other movie review that you've got? Next up was recommended by Gorer on the message boards, and it is 1976's The Premonition. You are witnessing an experiment in parapsychology. Some call it the science of the future. Others denounce it, along with ESP, clairvoyance, and reincarnation. But it is perhaps the only help left to protect this woman and her family from the possessive nightmare of her own premonitions. How do you account for it? According to the present laws of physical science, I couldn't. 
she says it did happen. Yes. And other equally inexplicable events may occur as well. Miles, please. The premonition, inspired by insanity oh? and hatred. The movie opens, there's an opening scene, a bus is sort of cruising down a lonely road at dawn in this small town, stops in front of a carnival and lets a, a woman off. And it, the way it was shot, the, the tone, the, the sort of mood of it reminded me of the opening scene in Ty West's House of the Devil. Not in content, obviously, they're very different in content. But in, in the style, definitely. And that sort of intrigued me right off the bat. But as it turned out, I hadn't seen nothing yet. And then uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the woman who got off the bus, her name was Andrea, played by Ellen Barber. She's a former resident of the nearby asylum who has come to meet Jude, a friend she met on the inside who now works as a clown who takes pictures of families that visit this carnival. Well, a while back, Jude snapped a picture of a young girl who he thought might be Andrea's daughter, who was taken away from her when she had her breakdown and was put in the asylum. The daughter has since been adopted. Uh, and it's interesting because the daughter, Janie, is played by Danielle, Danielle Brisbois, who was in the last season of All in the Family and the whole run of Archie Bunker's Place which is every time I hear that name, that's what I think of. She's really young here, maybe five or six. So it's well before that. I recognize her. And it was her. the first. Yeah, I recognize her. Yeah, it's the first thing she, she did. It's sort of the first movie. I think the first movie she ever appeared in. Um, it turns out that, you know, uh, Janie, Daniel Brisbois, is Andrea's daughter. And she is now the adopted daughter of Professor Miles Bennett, Edward Bell, who's a, a physicist. And his wife, Sherry, played by Sharon Farrell. And Andrea wants her daughter back, and she's ready to do whatever it takes to get her. Uh, Sherry, the adopted mother, finds herself pitted against Andrea and tormented by her in some pretty distor disturbing waking dreams, actually. Uh, Miles is convinced his wife, after a while, is kind of losing her mind because she starts seeing Andrea everywhere, and just these bizarre things happen out of nowhere. But there's also a parapsychologist colleague of, uh, of Professor Miles, played by uh, Siltra Niogi, I think is the actress's name, who believes there's more to what's happening to Miles' wife than meets the eye, that there might actually be more than just Sherry losing her mind. Now, the movie does have a leisurely pace early on, you know, almost like House of the Devil, or, you know, in, its early, in the early scenes. So with that, I was convinced that the premonition was going to be sort of a slur, slow burn sort of film. But it turns out it wasn't as slow as I thought it was going to be. And it starts getting creepy pretty early. There's an attempted kidnapping scene that's strong. I mean, it's strong stuff. I also liked how the movie started by focusing on Andrea and Jude. And at that point, we're not quite sure what their goal is. You know, at the start, you know, we're given hints that they're looking for somebody. But we discover as the movie progresses that both of them are total wackadoos. I mean, they are out there, even though they're not in the asylum anymore. They should be. <laughs> I don't know how they got out of that place. 
<laughs> and when their mental disturbances start to play out, those are some of the most chilling moments in the film. They really are. Then it switches focus to Sherry, who may or may not be losing her mind. She hallucinates. There's one very frightening moment while she's cleaning Janie's room. But you get the idea that there's more than a simple mental collapse going on here. Now, the director, Robert Allen Schnitzer, keeps the film moving along nicely. And the performances from the three, essentially the three leads, Ellen Barber, Richard Lynch, who plays Jude, and Sharon Farrell, are excellent. They really do a great job. Now, the director mentioned in his commentary that he's a big fan of Federico Fellini. And you can see some of Fellini's influences in the early scenes, especially the opening when Andrea and Jude meet again at the carnival. It's silent. It plays out silently, but there's this ominous but very effective musical score by Henry Malaconi, I think is his name. And it opens, you know, that scene opens the movie wonderfully. And Malaconi's uh, score throughout the movie, it's just creepy and it works. Uh, it really does work in the scenes in, in which it's employed. Um, and the movie, it has a great atmosphere. It really, it really does. And it does manage to effectively bl blur the line between mental illness and actual paranormal activity. And it does it well so that we ourselves are never really sure about what's going on. Uh, there's also a side story about a detective played by Jeff Corey, who, after the kidnapping attempt, is trying to track Andrea down. They pretty much know it was her who, you know, tried to take, uh, tried to take uh, the child. Um, he helps the Bennetts as much as he can, and there's even this small subsection of the film has its moments. Because one time the detective visits Andrea's ex-husband, and that's a pretty good scene. There's even a line in there. I wrote it down, and it's one of the one of the only times in the movie it made me laugh because it's not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, the detective says your your wife is missing, and he's like, "Missing? She was missing the day I met her." <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, there isn't much along the lines of sustained horror. You know, there's it's more horror in spurts, but when the movie wants to scare you, it manages to do so. So I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 wow. and say it's a high-priority rental with an option to buy. Nice. And definitely want to thank Goror for bringing this one up. Very cool. And I noticed, it's, at least according to Imdaba, it's a PG horror movie from the 70s. It is. And you could tell that they edited it a bit because there's one scene where where Richard Lynch drops the F-bomb and all of a sudden it goes quiet. They didn't manage covering his lips. Or they, didn't, they didn't bother. I should That's say they funny. didn't bother covering his lips. But he drops the f-bomb and you see it but it goes what the are we supposed to do with a doll that's really interesting yeah. it's almost it's an interesting juxtaposition whereas today you know how often they'll go out of their way even if something was initially a pg-13 like uh was expendables 2 i think it was initially gonna be a pg-13 and they added stuff in just so they could get the r back at yeah. this point they're like oh no no no, we need this to be a pg <laughs> we, we need it to yeah, be a pg, PG PG for some seemed to be magical. I know uh, this is not hard, but Chariots of Fire originally got a G, so they went back in and added profanity. Of course, you got to have it. Now, I did notice that you mentioned Sharon Farrell is the star of yes. this movie, or one of the stars. She ends up being the key star. She ends up being the main star, not early, but as the movie progresses, her st her story arc becomes the central okay. focus. Well, I want to call her out because her name immediately jumped out at me because she plays Doris Belmont, stepmother to... Reggie and Sam in one of the greatest 80s movies ever, Night of the Comet. Oh, nice. Yes, she is their their wicked stepmother. 
That is awesome. She's not there long. No, she's not. Spoiler. Very hint. effective. <laughs> Not really a spoiler because uh, no. it's like the first five it, it minutes. Is, or to something. be to be fair, it's about they're the last two you know sisters on earth. So I mean, you got to kind of figure out <laughs> most of the people right, that start right. off in the movie. So yeah, it's uh, but that yeah, was really cool. That's an excellent review, man. I'm really looking forward. To it. I yeah. I love these kind of movies from that sort of late seventies, early eighties time period. Mm-hmm. Even when because like you mentioned, House of the Devil, which I was shocked how much i love that movie that movie oh yeah i love yeah. the tone of it i, I loved everything right. about it and and it's always like they have this dreamlike quality to them and, and, and this movie does too cool. yes that's very true you're absolutely right oh, and this movie cool. has that as well and then there are legitimate dream sequences but even at the end when they're trying to figure out what's going on and what the parapsychologist has uh the wife do you know sherry do you're like, is this really happening? <laughs> so the movie has that that quality about it. That's cool. That's really excellent. All right. So that wraps up Dr. Shock's reviews. So thank you so much for those, Dave. And now we'll go into me, Gilman Joel's Frankensteinian reviews. All right. So here we are. And it's my first Frankensteinian episode, Dave. Josh has yep. has left us. Of course, the way we <laughs> record everything out of order, technically, as far as everyone listening is concerned, he left us before your segments, but he actually yes. came back while we were recording. So it's you know from <laughs> so in my head, I got to keep that all straight. But uh, yes, Josh has left, so he will not be able to comment on the movies that I am going to discuss. I'm going to focus on two for this part, and then we're going to do a sort of a little bit of a screaming online segment. But first up is going to be a bit of a mini review, a little micro review of a movie that we covered on Retro Movie Geek. And as this episode of HMP launches, it's probably been a month or two at least since this episode went out, but you can go back and find that if you you know want to do that to yourself uh, and go back and listen to that episode of Retro Movie Geek. And that is for the movie <laughs> Silent Rage. <laughs> the master fighter of our time. But not even he could imagine the power of the indestructible man he is about to face. Unstoppable terror of silent rage. Now, Chuck Norris must destroy him. In a final battle to the death and beyond. Silent rage. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Silent Rage from 1982, Dave. I assume you are. I am familiar with it, but I don't know that I've ever seen it, okay. I have to be honest. Well, uh, there, I've seen some Chuck Norris movies. I've not seen them all. Yes, I am like you, probably more so even than than you in that I have seen very few Chuck Norris movies. It's no no offense to the Chuckster, but it just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah not, my, not my thing. Peter, it's his thing. Right. Like he, Peter loves him a good Chuck Norris movie. I think he's seen them all. I'm okay. I would I would be willing to wager a hefty sum that he has seen them all. Even uh, the missing in action trilogy. Oh, I'm sure that. Oh, yes. Wow. I, I think he's even seen like uh, the was it the uh, 
sidekicks and uh, top dog. I mean, I think he's even seen some of those. I don't oh think he God. likes those, but I think he's seen them. So wow. he's, he's a completist when it comes to the Norse. <laughs> uh, I, wow. however, have seen, I think I saw Firewalker, Firewalker in the theater with my old man and I Invasion USA, I know at some point I saw and maybe a Delta Force movie or something. I don't know. That's pretty much it. I've seen very few mm-hmm. Chuck Norris movies. So- I know I've actually seen the first two of the missing in action movies. <laughs> and oh God, what's the other one that he did with, uh, with Carradine, with David Carradine. Oh, that oh, wasn't, the, that, that wasn't the hero of the terror, right? No, it's uh, no, that was his best. Lone, Lone Wolf McQuaid. I've oh, that's Lone right. Wolf yeah. McQuaid. We, yeah, we talked about that on the episode a bit. Yeah, right. Right. I've never and there seen was that one, one other. I, I can't remember what it is now. And uh, oh, and he was in Expendables, too, I think. Yes, he was briefly. Um, yeah. Briefly. Yes. But now, other than that, I don't think I've seen much. Yeah. So I, I and everyone's probably right now going, OK, why are we covering a Chuck Norris movie on HMP? <laughs> well, there's a reason. <laughs> Go with me here. So I wanted to bring it up because I it's one of those movies that I might have seen years and years and years before we covered on the show. I I think I talked about that on uh, Retro Movie Geek that I am fairly confident I saw it at some point because I had a friend of mine who loved this particular Chuck Norris movie and he loved it and thought I would love it because it does have a very strong horror element to it. In fact, uh, according to the uh, IMDb uh, breakdown of genre, it's action, crime, horror. So, and I would argue the horror part might even go a little bit before the crime. I mean, it's it's a pretty strong element. So, the basic premise, if you're not familiar with Silent Rage from 1982, is Chuck plays. I love that I'm on a first name basis with him. Uh, Chuck plays <laughs> a sheriff uh, in, in this small town. He's a he's a Texas sheriff. I believe this is the first time he ever played a Texas law enforcement agent. Uh, for those wow. you know, what was it the Texas Ranger show he did? People are I'm sure fans of that. Um, Quite a stretch for him. Yeah, it really was. It really was. So he has to stop a killer who is, for lack of a better way of putting it, genetically modified. I guess you could say they've been doing medical experiments on him and he is on a rampage of sorts. And the reason why I wanted to bring this movie up, because that's basically the plot. Killer on the loose. Chuck Norris has to stop him. But I bring it up because there's something about this movie that when you watch it, especially if you're a fan of slasher films from that era and keeping in mind 1982, you're sort of at that, you know, would you even call it? I mean, close to the pinnacle. I mean, it's as far as years go, you know, we haven't quite gotten to the level yet where the MPA is really cracking down and you've really got this upswing of slasher films and you can see the influence of that genre on something as mainstream and completely out like you would never think, oh, a Chuck Norris and a slasher film. But this movie has a lot of the same tropes and elements that those films do uh, to, mm-hmm. to where it, there are key points in this movie uh, starting at the beginning. In fact, and I know the movie I'm going to use as an example is going to immediately make Dave hang up on this call and, and be done with the show. Uh, but it's the one part of Friday the 13th, part five that I always found disturbing, which was the beginning where you have that daytime event that occurs without going into all of it. it, it as a kid, mm-hmm. seeing that really bothered me. Um, and because it deals with is an that axe. The part, the Corey Feldman, right? The opening with Corey Feldman. No, 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 no. I'm talking about when we're at the asylum. I'm not talking about the little cold open at the very beginning. I'm talking about the 
the the actual like when we're in the asylum the day time that it's near the beginning it's been so long since i've seen five i don't remember how close oh yes yeah i know what you're i know in my mind it's close to the beginning maybe it's like 30 minutes in i don't know but the point is the seed when we're at the asylum or the or the halfway house or whatever it is and uh and yes there's an axe involved i'll just leave it at that there's something similar that happens here but it's far more creepy and chilling but it's daytime it involves an axe it involves kids and a and it's it is shockingly tense like you're like Oh my God! Are they going to go there? Are they are they going to do this? And wow. uh, I, I won't give away what happens, but it, immediately you kind of sit up and go, "Okay, this isn't exactly what I was expecting." Now, as the movie progresses, it becomes more of what you're expecting because it's a Chuck Norris movie. I mean, it's a Chuck Norris vehicle. It's very much the you know getting in bar fights with a gang of bikers and in a very in a very well choreographed fight scene kind of way. But you know, it's if you like those kind of movies, it's very entertaining in that way. Um, but again, there are these moments where we're back to the killers storyline, which for me personally was the more interesting one and scenes involving, uh, you know, a, a married couple in their home at night and one of which, by the way, played by Ron Silver. <laughs> and oh, wow. yeah, so, you know, it, it's it's got some very creepy, tense moments. And as again, as the movie goes on, in fact, one of the things that uh, we had uh, a guy named Joel Weinkoop on, who's a uh, an actor, he was on with us because he, he loves Chuck Norris movies and, and, and all this kind of thing. And he really likes this movie. And he actually didn't like this one element that I loved because it reminded me a, a bit of Halloween, too, because there's quite a bit of there's a. They don't really call it a hospital. It's like an institute or something where this guy has, I guess, gotten his modification uh, that allows him to heal very easily and things like that. And he goes back and forth like after he commits a crime, he goes back to this place and they they work on him. You know, it's sort of like he's you know going to the mechanic and they're and they're fixing him up. But there's something about moments where these long corridors and it's, it's very hospital like atmosphere. It kind of reminds you of Halloween too. And realizing this is 1982. Well, the year before <laughs> you had Halloween too. So yeah. it is really fascinating. I thought just from the historical perspective of, if you're a fan of those movies, if you're a fan of how, you know, the history of cinema, how these things can kind of connect and weave into each other. And just to see the influence of that genre and how strong it was at that point to influence this movie the way it does. I, I really, it's, it was shocking. That's to really me. cool. Yeah. yeah. That that's really cool. And you know that obviously that it was done for the cash grab thing. Of course okay, it was. Well, you know, these movies are making a lot of money. Let's throw it into a, our, our Chuck Norris action film here. And, uh, and, and, but it's, it's, it's really cool that they did that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that to your point though, but, I find it fascinating that the thought process was something that because let's be honest, you know, how many people look down their nose at slasher films and they, you know, yes. they, they poo poo it. But yet, <laughs> but yet at the influence of it was so strong, it could not be denied. So it had to it had this ripple effect. And uh, this just so you know, I think you'd find this fascinating. It also co-stars Stephen First. Uh, who played oh, flounder. flounder yes in animal house <laughs> he's playing a somewhat similar type of character uh, in this he's sort of the comedic relief at points mm. but again there's some things that happen involving his character that you go okay i for whatever reason figured okay it's a chuck, light chuck norris action movie uh, that, that, he's the he's the fun guy this won't happen this kind of thing won't happen and certain things happen and you're like wow oh, wow okay Cool. I, I, I'm, yeah, that usually 
that never happens usually to comic relief. Yeah, I mean, th- the things that happen and the, and the things that kind of go down in this movie the way, and I, and I kind of feel like it's one of those movies that you pretty much could spoil and it really wouldn't matter. I mean, if I'm being honest with you. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I can pretty much tell you. You kind of know what you're getting yeah, going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like if I point by point told you everything that happened, you'd watch the movie and it wouldn't really affect the experience at all <laughs> but i'm trying to be good i'm trying not to do that so uh the killer is played by brian libby and he doesn't look anything like the uh, the killer in cobra who i believe was that brian thompson i think was the actor if you remember cobra mm-hmm. the stallone another movie that you could argue was heavily had a heavy horror influence to it as well because you had that serial killer aspect to that uh but another movie we covered on um uh, Retro Movie Geek. Yeah, that, that show. I can remember the name of my other show. Uh, the, <laughs> another movie we covered on Retro Movie Geek was The First Power. And I don't know if you remember that from 1990 with Lou Diamond Phillips. And that movie had the uh, the killer was played by Jeff Kober. And the reason why I bring those all those guys up is because even though they don't look alike, they ha- there's something about them that there's this real creep factor to them that they just they just look like killers like they're just they're, I mean I mean that's a compliment you know what I mean they're just there's some and Brian Libby to me has that quality like there's just this something about the guy he just looks uh, just just a little unhinged and you put an axe in his hands and it gets creepy so uh, I would I would say that this movie Silent Rage from 1982 the Chuck Norris movie is absolutely worth seeing rent it if you can uh preferably for free uh, and and it's but it's worth it if you're the kind of person that enjoys seeing that seeing that sort of right. having that perspective that we have now and looking back it's like wow that's really cool i could see how you know the influence of the i don't even know if the filmmaker himself knew that this was what he was ripping off but it, it's just kind of cool to see that level of uh, influence on a totally different genre and a totally different type of movie. So I would, as a movie, I rated about maybe five, 5.5, you know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. for me, that's literally like middle of the road. It's, it's worth at least checking out if you would be so inclined. And if you're a huge Chuck mm-hmm. Norris fan, like Peter, then I'm sure you'll love it regardless of anything right. I say. And if, and if you want to see him, uh, Broaden his range by playing a Texas Ranger. Yes, or the first yeah, time, the, the first time the he played. First time. Yes, and so this is this is where he really nailed the part. This well, is where he he, he did got it down. He did. He really uh, grabbed. I feel like people like sense the snark. <laughs> is it that obvious? So so when they were coming up with the Texas Rangers TV show, they said, "Give me that guy from Primal Rage." Yeah, they're like, "No, no, 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 no!" It's Silent Rage, and they went, "Oh, that's right." Oh. Primal, yeah, I said primal. You're right, silent rage. Yes, because you know, yeah, the, the, we don't, we don't, we don't want uh, Richard. Who was it? Richard Gere and uh, Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah, no, we, don't, no, we, don't, we want yeah, Chuck Norris. Yeah, we want, we want Chuck. <laughs> we want Chuck. Yeah, we got to have the good one. We have to have the good, the good actor. Uh, this was uh, interesting to note as well. It is also, I believe, maybe the. I don't know if it's the only time he had a love scene, but I do believe it's the last time. He had love scenes. Uh, so the, the story, I don't know how apocryphal it is, but the story goes, his fans were so outraged at the somewhat, and they expl- I use the word explicit very loosely here, because I mean, there's a little bit of nudity, but it's marginal by today's standards mm-hmm. by any stretch. But I guess there was such an outcry from his fan base of him doing these. Love- He's like, okay, never again. <laughs> Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and supposedly he was very he felt very uncomfortable doing them, and and it kind of shows. It, 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 it mm-hmm. shockingly enough, you know, from that end, you know, you can really pick up on uh, his discomfort. So interesting. Yeah, 
But, uh, you know, I, like I said, just from that perspective, it's worth checking out. So I'd, I'd rate yeah. it 5.5 uh, and say rent it if you can. All right. So now let's go to a feature review of The Hole in the Ground from 2019. Mom? Never run off me like that again, okay? Good morning, mommy. Where did you get those? Do you ever look at your kids and not recognize them? He's not himself. Mom, look out! Mommy! Where are you? All right, so The Hole in the Ground is a 2019 horror movie from Ireland, uh, directed and written by Lee Cronin. It was also written by Stephen, co-written by Stephen Shields. Uh, it stars, and I hope I'm not messing up names here. I'll do my best. I believe it's spelled, or pronounced rather, Shauna Kerslake, James Quinn Markey, uh, Katie Watinin, <laughs> David Crowley, and I want to make sure I mention James Cosmo, who is a great character actor who was in movies like Braveheart and Highlander, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Troy. He's done a lot of stuff and he's very recognizable. Uh, he has this, I don't know how you, what you would call it, but he just, he looks like a guy that you would put in a movie that takes place in the middle ages. <laughs> he just has that right. look. So it tells the story of a mother, a single mother. You don't ever meet her husband. Uh, she has a young son and they are moving to the Irish countryside. So they've moved there and she is renting a home that is next to this very big, dark, expansive forest. And her son is one evening uh, wanders away from the home and she, while looking for him, somewhat panicked, understandably, she finds this massive and I mean massive sinkhole in this forest and mm. and it seems to almost be feeding in upon itself for lack of a better way of putting it it's just it's just it's ominous and it's creepy well uh a few a few things happen along the way it's not really it's all very early on in the movie but she re she learns of a woman who lives nearby whose son uh, was killed in a, in a horrible accident uh, years and years before. And that mother had believed her son to not have been her son, that he had been replaced by a doppelganger mm -hmm. of sorts. And as things progress, uh, another incident happens where her son disappears again. And when she finds him this time, something to her seems a little off. And, and, and as the movie progresses, it's one of those where... Is she imagining it? Is she got some kind of condition that is causing her to imagine that her son is not her son or is, in fact, her son, not her son? So this movie, I believe, played at Sundance because our own Wolfman Josh covered it on the episode 167, the Sundance Film Festival Horror Preview. Uh, they He actually talked to the director. Uh, Lee Cronin in that episode. So if you get a chance to go back and check that out, it is a fantastic interview and a fantastic review. And honestly, I feel like I can't even 
do this justice like he did because he did such a great job going through what he liked about it. And a lot of what he liked about it was what I also enjoyed. Uh, I had a few nitpicks, but for the most part, is it he said he Josh talked about this extensively in that episode, but it's a beautiful movie. They really it's a beautifully shot film. I know when we did our Leprechaun coverage and we talked about, you know, Irish cinema, this would have been a great movie <laughs> to uh, to talk even more about then. Um, I think we may have touched upon it then. I, I believe at that point he mentioned having seen it. I, it's been a while since we've done the Leprechaun episode, but I think mm-hmm. it got mentioned at least uh, in passing. But it's a beautifully shot movie. It obviously would be easy, I think, to throw it into the evil kid subgenre and you know it seems like we've had several of these coming out as of late i know the prodigy just came recently which isn't my cue i'm going to watch it at some point i haven't had a chance yet uh but there there have been a few as of late that have come out uh that are that are in this subgenre and it does have that but i think it's about more than just that like I, i don't think i mean the kid is Obviously, there's a creepy factor to it. If you watch the trailer, it doesn't give too much away, but eh, it gives away some stuff. So be warned about that. The woman who plays Sarah O'Neill, the mother, uh, Chris is her son, uh, Shauna Kerslake, I believe is how you pronounce it. She's I thought she was fantastic. Uh, She's really does a great job of sort of the the Mia Farrow role (laughs) of, you know, is she imagining all this? You know, it, it does Rosemary have a reason to be worried about her baby or is, you know, you know, she just imagining it. It's, it's got that somewhat of that vibe where she's, you know, feeling like she doesn't know that she can trust her own child. And this is sort of her only thing she really has, you know, left in the world to hold on to, so to speak. And, and, and she really does, I thought a great job of conveying just that I don't know that horrifying feeling of you not being able to trust your own child. You know, I mean, that just that that would be such a horrific right. experience. And she did a really great job of, I think, conveying that just mixed with the terror of, you know, questioning your own sanity. And, you know, this can't be happening. Right. I mean, I've got to be imagining these things. So it's got that going for it. I think really well, the cast, like I said, is fantastic. The kid, I mean, and we've talked about this before. I know you guys have talked about it a ton on HMP because a lot of times kids show up in horror movies that you deal with kid actors and yes a lot of times the answer is yeah they're functional i mean it's they're okay <laughs> you know they, they they didn't take me out of the movie this kid is really good i thought this kid did a good job. i don't know if it was exceptional but it was good like he was solid not just kid actor just a solid actor so i, I that was uh that was pleasant and i think uh he also at times i don't know what it was reminded me of Haley joel osmond when he was a youngster, you know, and, and we'd see him and stuff. Like there's something about the kid that just had that vibe huh. to me. So, um, it is a very slow burn. Now I enjoy a slow burn movie. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't hate a slow burn movie. If I feel engaged with what is you know happening in the slow moments and it's, it's definitely a slow movie. I watched this movie. It was kind of late when I was watching it. So I did, there was a couple points where, you know, the, the lids got a little bit heavy. I was like, okay, no, 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 keep it, keep with it. Keep with it. <laughs> Cause it was engaging enough. <laughs> I wanted to know what was going to happen next, but it was, a yeah, you know, there was a few moments and it's not that long. It's only an hour and a half, but it just a couple mm. points where it just dragged a little bit. And ultimately the 
elements that are in it that happen that seem to have more of a, without giving anything away, potential supernatural bent. There's something about, I don't know if it was just the way they were staged or or what it was. They seemed familiar. I think if you've seen a lot of horror movies, you've seen some of these things are going to seem familiar to you. Um, it's not necessarily to the movie's detriment. You're not going to be like, oh God, come on. Yeah, we've seen this a thousand. It wasn't like that, but it was just, there was a couple of moments where it didn't go in a direction that maybe would have been so different that it would have been like, wow, God, I've never you know seen something like that before. I've never seen it handled that way. It just, you know what I mean? Like it had that sense of familiarity, not in a necessarily annoying way, but just in a, eh, okay, yeah, I've seen that. All right, yeah. It's, I mean, I suppose it'd be creepy if it was the first time I've ever seen that. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> it, it's effective. The ending, I really liked Um and, and I definitely want to be careful about spoilers going here. It go, And actually, Josh, again, touched on this really well uh, in his uh, review of it and in the interview with the director, though. I'd say be careful about listening to that interview f- before you see the movie, just because they go a little bit more in depth into the ending. They go they go somewhere that a lot of times with movies like this, they don't go. Uh, as far and in this case, literally, uh, they don't go uh, when you were dealing with this, this sort of... Uh, weird potential subterranean like you, the thing with the hole like let's just put it this way the hole comes into play um and it, it's it is it's interesting it's it's got a lot of fascinating ideas in it uh the idea of your child not seeming like your child i think is something that most parents <laughs> can relate to that there are times when you're like i don't yeah. know this kid what, what is happening right now so uh <laughs> it definitely taps into that fear uh and like i said it's got great performances. So for me, uh, the hole in the ground, I would give it a good, strong 7.5. I say definitely rent it. I don't know. I feel like it's one of those movies that I don't know that I'd want to own per se. I wouldn't mind seeing like a director's commentary or something. I just don't know, having seen it, if it's one that I would revisit with any regularity. You know, I mean, there's some movies that you like gotcha. them when you see them, but you're like, yeah, I mean, I saw it. I'm glad I saw it. I probably won't watch it again, not because I didn't like the movie. Just I just don't really see any anything there that I would want to explore past, you know, the initial viewing. Um, Mm -hmm. I I will say there is one element to it that I'm trying to think of the. This is really hard. Not spoiling things. (laughs) There's there's something that happens with the way characters are potentially dispatched that was not gruesome per se, but was something about it was unsettling as hell. And I, 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 that's all I can say about it. You'll probably know it when you see it. I just, there's something about it. It was just, it was super creepy um, the way it was done. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an effective horror film, uh, beautifully shot, really well acted. Uh, I really do recommend it. As, like I said, strong 7.5 and uh, check it out. If you get a chance, I'd love to hear what people think about it. Nice. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I mean, I, I enjoyed what was that um the hallow yes which was an irish horror film sort of set out in the woods and and i really enjoyed that movie and you said you ordered the hole in the ground right weren't you supposed to get it soon i did well i'll get it tomorrow yeah. oh, okay <laughs> look at that <laughs> perfect timing <laughs> all right excellent well i really look forward to hearing your thoughts on it that'll be that'll be cool yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it All right, so with that, let's go ahead and move on to some Screaming Online.
Okay, so here's the thing. I asked Wolfman and Doc if it was okay if I did the unthinkable. If on Horror Movie Podcast, I talked about a TV show. Something that, well, I mean, TV being relative at this point. But it's, it's on Netflix. But it is a show. It is not a movie, technically. Um, because I am a big fan of horror TV. I watched every episode of The Walking Dead. I watched the first season in, t- in its entirety, the first season of Fear the Walking Dead, before I was like, I cannot take this anymore. Please, God, make it stop. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you like that show, I am, I'm sorry, but I just that first season, yikes. I've heard it got better. I know at some point, maybe I'll go back. But just, I, I just I can't make that kind of commitment right now. So, But it doesn't matter. Right? The Haunting of Hill House, loved it. I mean, it, horror TV comes out as much as I can see. I, I ripped through the Bates Motel. I loved the Bates Motel. So I... I love horror TV. So recently, uh, my wife also enjoys a lot of horror stuff. So we decided to sit down and watch on Netflix, Black Summer. Now, are you familiar with this particular series, Dave? No, not at all. Okay. I'm so behind on all horror TV that it's it's embarrassing. So no, it's not. uh, no, it's well, not. Well, it is. It, it, in, in not a way, when you've it watched, is. Not when you've really... watched thousands of movies and reviewed them well, on the website. Yes, <laughs> yes. But I mean, I have everybody telling me The Haunting of Hill House is just amazing and I still haven't seen it. And That um, one I will say I will go to the mat for that. I feel like I know that you you tried. You got a lot of time you spend with the movies. Treat that is I think it's eight or ten episodes. I can't remember which offhand now, but just treat it as an eight or ten part movie. That is just a really uh, long because it is so well made. I think you will. It's love the Decalogue. It. It's it's yes. Christo, he's yeah. the, the Decalogue. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, that's it. Like it. That. Go with that. That's what it is. Absolutely. Well, Black Summer is not that, uh, but it is a, another zombie post-apocalyptic series. Now, there was rumblings that it was somehow connected to Z Nation. Now, Z Nation is a sci-fi show that I am familiar with, and it is one of the horror shows I have not seen. I started it. It was okay, but in sort of true... Uh, sci-fi TV fashion. Like there is like, oh, it's okay. I, I, I feel like I probably would have to watch more of it to really get into it. But and it has a different tone. This, according to everybody behind it, and I guess there's a lot of people that were behind Black Summer that were also behind Z Nation, which is why people have assumed Black Summer is actually a prequel to Z Nation. But according to the people behind Black Summer, it is not. It is not a prequel. Uh, It just happens to be made by a lot of the same people. And I guess Asylum, you know, the Asylum company, I think was behind both series. So uh, at least if I'm my understanding is correct on that. I I know Asylum, I'm 99 percent sure was behind Z Nation. Uh, But I, I know that there's a lot of the creative forces behind both. So Black Summer is this sort of beginning of the apocalypse kind of show, kind of what Fear the Walking Dead, I think, was trying to do in that first season, especially. And you had these different groups of strangers that are coming together, and it it's starting off in this very suburban sort of place with people you know packing and you know, desperately we gotta go we gotta go we gotta go that kind of thing. And you know you got the the military waiting at the fence, and they gotta you. Know, Show show me your papers and all that kind of thing before they they get onto the trucks. And and so you've got this whole buildup. And here's the thing. These zombies are much more of the 28 days later. They are the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead variety. 
They are uh. fast. But here's the thing. I, I, I tend to be a traditionalist. I tend to prefer slow zombies. But I will tell you this much. These are not infected. I mean, they are infected by this virus, whatever it is. They're dead, though. I mean, when they die, they die. But when they turn, they turn quick. I'm talking, you, you know, you, you got bit. Yeah, like moments, boom, and you're ah, right at you. I mean, like there's wow. there's virtually no downtime. There's no like, oh, I'm just now going to sit with my loved one and just you know pet you know pet their hair as they as I as I feel horrible, and then oh, then they come alive. No, no, there isn't time for all that. You just better they they're down. You just need to run. So it's like that. And on top of that, from the way I gathered it, and there's almost, there's very little exposition, if any, they almost don't explain anything, uh, which is a positive and a negative in some regards, but they also have it to where certain people might get hit by a car and they laying on the pavement dying. And when they take their final, you know, the the, the little death rattle breaths and then, and they're up. And you're like, well, right. they, they never got bit. So it's got a little bit of that Walking Dead element to it as well, where they don't necessarily have to be. So whatever it is, is, you know, in the water, in the air or something. And you've got uh, these groups of strangers, like I said, that are coming together in these various storylines. And it's almost got Tarantino-esque structure in the sense that you have these title cards. That, and this happens through the whole series of, I believe it's eight episodes. Um hmm. And it'll be like, you know, a title card will come up and say dog. And then you'll see this vignette with one of the characters. Um, and sometimes they're on the nose, like and not giving anything away, but that one may involve an actual dog. <laughs> but then you'll have another one that'll say something that's a little more cryptic and, you know, like, you know, like the long game or something. And then you'll watch this vignette play out with a different group of characters that were kind of jumping around and sometimes the timelines are overlapping. So we get repeated uh, views, different points of view of the same time frame. And you can see, and it's really fascinating, especially in the first episode or so, because you'll see something happen to this couple characters here in this particular vignette. Then we get the cue card or the little title card and we go to this other group and we'll see if you pay close attention in the background, you could see those other people running or doing whatever they were doing in their in their particular vignette you know because it's repeating that time does that make sense yeah no i mean i know exactly what you're talking about it's like uh the was it uh tim roth amanda Plummer, in pulp fiction they open and close yes. the movie yeah and, uh, yeah it's like and, that and sort it, of thing and, yeah exactly and if you're paying attention you you know you saw that you know the vincent vega character you know crossing in front of you know like that kind of thing where if you're yeah you, know, you exactly. see yeah you can see and it's got that it's got it's just a really cool structure too i like the structure i thought it was a neat way of telling the story um because right. it, it it does a good job too i think of ending a lot of those little vignettes on a cliffhanger <laughs> so you you're mm -hmm. like okay what's gonna happen there oh no now we're going back over here so uh and you have like i said these different characters these different um storylines probably the main character if there is one i mean there's several main characters you would probably call them but is played by jamie king who i think a lot of people would recognize she's been in a lot of stuff she's one of those actresses where you're like okay i know her she kind of looks like margot robbie to me <laughs> but yeah exactly that's what i'm thinking i, I was th i said i know i've i've seen yeah. something that she was in yeah she looks like margot robbie it. yeah she's in sin city 
She was Oh, my bloody Valentine. Yes. She's in my bloody Valentine. Yeah, she's been okay. in a lot of stuff. I mean, she's yeah, she's she's done a lot of things, but she's definitely one of those actresses where you're like, I know I've seen her before. She's really good in this. I, and she's almost unrecognizable. I think if you look at her, most of the stuff she's been in, they, they again the Margot Robbie thing, like they tend to kind of glamour up a bit. I think this, she's, you know, sort of like a soccer mom who has to go places that you know no soccer mom would ever want to have to go and uh you know mm. and it starts off with her and her husband and her child and again you see this whole process of you have to go through this uh line to get onto the trucks to be transported to the stadium which is where everybody wants to go everybody's trying to get to the stadium because that's where they're going to be doing the the mass i guess migration of getting everybody out of uh, the area because supposedly they're going to they don't never say they're going to nuke it but you get the distinct impression they're going to be running doing bombing runs because multiple times jets are flying by and you can hear things exploding in the distance and every once in a while people have to fall to the ground and 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 hold you know their hands over their head and that is in one way where the less of a budget probably shows through on this show is especially the first several episodes a lot of them take place during the day now you could make the argument that's because that's when the particular timeline is taking place but i think it's also because it was probably a lot easier and cheaper <laughs> to pull off than trying to shoot also mm -hmm. at night uh and then whenever say the jets go to blow stuff up you never actually see like a lot of explain you, you hear it characters react to it but it's you know it's in it, it but everything's so frenetic and fast-paced it's very forgivable i think one of the other fascinating things about it it's one of those movies where just when you think a character is locked in is oh, okay this is obviously a character we're going to be with for a while they just get decimated <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes in the most unceremonious of ways. I mean, there are, there are a couple right. of moments where you're like, oh, ah, okay. I didn't see that coming. Uh, yeah, there, I do like, I like that. I yes. like it when you just can't predict anything. You can't. There yeah. are several you can't predict. And some are cold-blooded. And then you're like, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of see that. I, 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 okay. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, too, because, like I said, as the storylines progress, you get away from the initial, okay, we just got to get out of this neighborhood and, and find shelter and find a way to the stadium. And, and, and like I said, you have these different bands of people. But the, one of the groups who's led by a guy who may or may not, in fact, be a soldier, as he claims to be, uh, along with Rose, the Jamie King character, and the soldier guy, Justin Chu Carey. He was really good. He plays a character named Spears who, uh, like I said, may or may not be a soldier. And they are end up in a school. <laughs> Let's just say it takes a bit of a—I I want to be careful because I don't want to give any spoiler things away— but if you can imagine Lord of the Flies <laughs> in a school, that's kind of where it goes in, in a certain key points. And it's creepy. That, that whole sequence was extraordinarily creepy and effective, um, even if you believe that you could totally kick the butt of any kid. Um, I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> Jay, you know, I love you. Uh, I, I'm just telling you, it was still creepy. And, and then there's another, and this is a, another fascinating thing. Cause this, I feel like a lot of this show is about communication and how we don't <laughs> really communicate with right. each other because there's a key character played by Christine Lee and she is excellent. I, I think she might be the standout performance in this entire show she plays a korean woman who speaks no english i mean at all i mean she under seems to understand some of it but she uh, speaks virtually no english 
And what's fascinating is they never give her a single subtitle. So mm-hmm. you have moments where she monologues and you don't know what she's saying, but yet you know exactly what she's saying. So it's wow. really, I thought, fascinating. And her performance, because she's just, what she has to go through and, again, having to convey what she has to convey, knowing full well that everybody you know watching and listening to her is not going to be she has to convey it all through that tone and just the the facial expressions and the body language and she's teamed up as a character primarily with a guy named William who is played by Sal Velez Jr. and he is just this kind of blue collar guy who is let's just say his temper is his not his strong suit like he's not really good at keeping his temper and there's this whole sequence where as they're driving around trying again to find their way out of this area you have that moment where as they're driving through this neighborhood she notice son notices a like uh, the next roads over the next block over a truck driving exactly parallel no one else is around mind you nobody this is not like oh there'd be other people trying to escape no like at this point Occasionally, you see people running at your truck or your, your car, but for the most part, there's no mess around. Then all of a sudden, you notice one road over this vehicle riding parallel with you, and that's oh. not good. <laughs> and so she's trying to like warn him, and then finally he notices, and it escalates to this whole level. And it was just one of those shows where it gets really intense, and... It's both a blessing and a curse of the show that it's so just go, 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 go. Because, again, you never really have time to get to know these people on a deep, deep level. But on another hand, you kind of think it feels like, yeah, I kind of feel like this is what it would be like. Though It's, you know, it would be this disjointed and you would you would meet somebody. And in this horrific experience, you probably without learning very much about each other as people, you would bond. You would have this sort of camaraderie that you would develop very quickly just from having gone through this experience. And I've already expressed my disdain, let's just say it, for Fear of the Walking Dead, the first season anyway. And I I do feel like this, if this had been the Fear of the Walking Dead, like this had been what I had seen, like there had been something more in this vein I think it would have been far, far more successful as an experience for me uh, than than what I got. So I sort of sort of felt like, okay, well, at least I got this. <laughs> um, and it's not perfect. I mean, definitely, like I said, sometimes the the low budgeted nature of it shows through. You get the the CGI bullet hits and blood spatter kind of thing every once in a while, and it, it's it's not perfect. But for what it is, um, and the fact that there's one character in particular that just drove me nuts man it was one of those characters where you're like dude i get it i get that you don't you're in a world that you're finding hard to accept and and you're you're just sort of in a bit of a denial thing i'm guessing but there's just some things that strike me as common sense like that, that if you're in anything close to the situation you would do he doesn't do and it's like oh come on you know one of those kind of characters where you're like just i don't know if it's that i should i'm being intolerant of your abject stupidity or if, if right. or, 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 or what, but it just, it was, that was probably my only beef was this one character who would just do these things. I'm like, come on. All you had to do was that. That was it. That's all you had to do, man. Uh, so, but that's just me. I'm the problem. So I give this show a 
I honestly, you know, it's funny. I think when I started this, I was going to give it like a seven or seven point five. I, after I've talked myself into an eight, I think I'm giving the show an nice. eight. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, because it's it's got good like the the way the horror happens. It's it's bloody and it's violent, but it's never like it's not particularly excessive gore. I mean, you know, what I mean, Walking Dead's in my opinion way gorier than this show is. Uh, it, wow. It's it's okay. uh, but it's just there's something about. And again, I'm a big fan of the slow shambling zombie, the classic traditional zombie, but there's something about the way this happens and it's so fast and they're unrelenting they, and they don't just, you know, follow you to a spot and leave. It's almost as if whatever's in them causes them to sort of just hunker down and just wait you out. <laughs> so wow. they just chase and they just like a mad dog just chasing you and you're and no matter where you go. It's really uh, it's unnerving. I mean, it's really, uh, really disturbing. So uh, Black Summer, I, I give it an eight. I say, check it out. It's on Netflix. So if you're a Netflix subscriber, which I assume the vast majority of people who listen to this probably are, um, check it out. All right. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. We've already heard from Wolfman where they can find him online. Dave, you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, DVDinfatuation.com. On Twitter, at DVDinfatuation. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And of course, I'm on Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, uh, Jesse Robbins, uh, Bill uh, is a new addition. And uh, you can find that at www.landofthecreeps.blogspot.com All right, and you can find me at retromoviegeek.com also forgottenflix.com which is the original version of Retro Movie Geek. We've got a lot of old episodes over there as well. Oh, yeah. You can go check all that good stuff. Dave was on plenty of those, both Forgotten Flicks and Retro I Movie was. Geek. Yes. Always had, a great, always had a great time. Most memorable one for me is the Fun House oh, episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that that was fun. That was good. Yeah, that, nope. was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so go check those out, and of course, Universal Monsters cast, aka Gods and Monsters, uh, as well as uh, that's pretty much it. I was gonna say horror movie podcast, but I think you know that because you're here. <laughs> and remember, we love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. It is truly a great group of people. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at Horror Movie Podcast dot com where you can find this and all of the 175 of our past episodes you can connect with us on twitter and instagram at horror movie cast if you'd like to support horror movie podcast please subscribe and leave a review on itunes apple podcasts you can get your listener designed hmp t-shirts at teespring.com slash stores slash horror movie cast and just as a reminder, be sure to check out our newest sponsor, Stitcher Premium. And to get your free month, don't forget to get your free month of Stitcher Premium for 30 whole days. Go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HMP. That's stitcherpremium.com and use HMP at checkout. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again. In our next few upcoming episodes, we'll be covering everything from 
sharks to all sorts of other great horror shenanigans coming your way as the summer rolls on. (laughs) All right. Nice. Yeah. So thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. The one Chuck Norris movie I forgot that I saw is actually my, might be my favorite. It's Delta Force. I completely forgot about Delta Force. Yeah. And it might also be the best uh, movie that Menachem Golem directed. Yeah. Yeah. I always uh, forget Golem that he directed Globus. that one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he, he directed, he directed that one and I enjoy that. That one I enjoy quite a bit. That's, that's one of those rare instances where just everything sort of gelled mm-hmm. and lee marvin's last movie if i'm not mistaken. oh wow okay i didn't realize that cool i think i think it was i think that was lee marvin's last movie Very cool.